What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. Look at everything I've done, Kamala. What am I supposed to do now? How can I be normal? There is no normal. There's just us and what we do with what we've been given. Get to the harbor. I'll buy you time. Welcome into the Ringerverse, your Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. I'm Joanna Robinson, and joining me, oh my God, I just don't even know what to say. Listen, I would have followed her into the very fires of Mordor. (laughs) She is so prolific, you would swear she was a mutant. (laughs) It's my house of our working title. title. Co-host, Mallory Rubin. I'm Ellie. Joanna, superheroes don't need chaperones. <laughs> but maybe podcasters do. Time maybe. will tell. That's Time why Steve's tell. here. Yeah, yeah, I was like, Steve's <laughs> here to keep us on track. All right. Every week at the top of this episode, uh, and sometimes multiple times a week, because you might have noticed we're in your feed a lot lately, <laughs> um, we we call this the Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom. But often we we spend one episode on one thing. Not this week. Not today. We are Nexusing the heck out of this episode. Uh, we got a Rings of Power trailer, full Ooh. trailer, that was so irresistible that we have smuggled it into the front of our Miss Marvel finale episode. But that does not mean Miss Marvel is getting the short shrift from us because Mallory and I will do our usual deep, 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 deep dive on the episode. And then we've got a guest, Bisha K. Ali. Head writer of Ms. Marvel is here to talk to us. I don't know if this is going to make the cut of the interview. This is like pre-internet interview chatter, but did she win your heart forever, Mallory, when talking about pause Avengers on the uh, the wall of the Loki writer's room? Yeah, some great yeah. some great pet talk yeah. <laughs> at the beginning of the Zoom. Really Pre- memorable. Pre-interview, so you'll never <laughs> hear it, but it'll live in our hearts. Yeah. Uh, before we get into, so that's one, two, three, right? Rings of Power, Ms. Marvel Deep Dive. Bisha interview. That's the that's the show today. Before we get into all of that, we have to do our usual our usual bits of business, right? So programming reminders. And this, pay attention to this. Listen up. Sometimes you guys don't, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you some important things. The back half of July is a little slow for the Nexus podcast feed for all things fandom, and we could fill it with a ton of flotsam and jetsam, or we could recharge our batteries for the hellfire that is nerd August coming hot in with Andor and and She-Hulk and Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. Ever heard of it? So Ever heard of it? Your feed might look a little sparser for the next two weeks. We'll still be here doing things. The Midnight Boys are here next week doing something. I don't think they know what, so I can't tell you what it is. So next Wednesday, they'll be here doing something very fun. 
Molly and I will be back on the 24th of July to give you our Comic-Con reactions. So love a Sunday pod. We love to get together on a Sunday somewhere between 11 C's and second breakfast to talk about. Don't think he knows about 11 C's, Pip. <laughs> to talk about our, our Comic-Con feelings. Uh, and then... Sandman will come in somewhere in there. I'm try. I'm really trying to rope in uh, a special guest. I'm very excited about for the Sandman podcast. We'll probably do a hype meter at some point. Oh to, yeah, you know to get Have us ready to. for the fall. We got to do a hype tradition. meter. Yeah, and there's and so then, much. And then we're in the thick of it. So it sounds like a lot, but it's a lot less than we have been doing. So you'll hear us a little less. Give you a chance to miss us, and then we'll be back with a vengeance. I like how we're making this sound like we'll be retiring for. Six months. It's like half a week. Yeah. I, just, I mean, but we got them used to like an episode every day. So I just want to be like, it's true. if you're backlogged, if you're like, yeah, catch up. If you're like, you universe, oh my God, give me, give me a chance. Th- Dive now's into your time. the archives. Yeah. We got, we're here for you. Spoiler warning. Miss mm-hmm. Marvel is done through episode six. So we can't spoil anything in Miss Marvel. We don't know anything else that's coming. I don't really know much about the Marvels at all, though. I have one little tidbit that I will share with you, but it, no spoilers, right? From that. Wider MCU. What do you think, Mallory? Everything in the MCU, everything in comics canon? All of it always. On the table. You have been warned. Okay. Uh, Mallory. Yeah? There's a really <laughs> important question. Oh my God. What is it? How do people make sure that they follow? How do they know what's coming, yeah. when it's coming, where it's coming? My recommendation, if you're eager to know when we publish podcasts, is to follow our podcast feeds on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Set those notifications, get those alerts whenever there's a fresh piping hot ringer verse waiting for you in the oven of content. And also, if you want to know what's coming, what's up, what we're joking about, what we're debating, what meme has emerged from Jomi's mind and heart and soul, you can follow the Ringerverse across our myriad social feeds. We're everywhere. We are everywhere. And if you watch the Miss Marvel finale, you know that the TikTok era is here. A lot of TikTok action in that finale. And so follow the Ringerverse on TikTok in addition to everywhere else. It's true. Uh, just today, Jomi gave me a full education on a Star Wars puppet controversy over on TikTok. You can go follow Jomi over on TikTok to find out a little bit more about that at Ringerverse. Um, but lots going on in this world. <laughs> you might want to keep on top of it. Um, all right. So we're going to start with Rings of Power. You have fought long enough, Galadriel. Put up your sword. The enemy is still out there. The question now is where? It is over. You have not seen what I've seen. I have seen my share. You have not seen... ...what I have seen. Mallory and I had parallel experiences with this trailer, where I sort of dug in deep into it yesterday. She was, like, digging into it this morning. And both of us just got this, like, amped-up feeling of excitement for the rings of power and and I'm not this is not me blowing smoke or carrying water for Jeff Bezos cuz I never would it's it's just I love Lord of the Rings and I'm so excited to be back in this world Mallory how are you feeling after you watch this trailer overjoyed and absolutely elated I 
I actually have lost count of how many times I've watched the trailer over the last <laughs> couple of days. Yeah. And it was really fun to to send you my my text this morning when I was revisiting it to, to get set for the pod. It, uh, you know, I was texting it to my dad, like Lord of the Rings is one of the first stories that we share. Just, uh, having, a, having a blast, getting him set with all the streamers, making sure he's ready for the content, Dawn. The... I, the 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 fact that we're getting rings of power has been exciting to both of us the entire time right but this trailer clicked something in into place inside of me and i am just like having one of those days one of those like back half of the weeks one of those mornings where I don't really want to do anything else other than think about Rings of Power and like dive back into the stories and start my reread and my rewatch. And like, that's one of my favorite feelings as a fan is when you get a little glimpse of something and it makes you so, so ready to immerse yourself in the world again. And like, again, we already were looking forward to this very much so, but this trailer was really fantastic. It looked great. You could see the money. And that was obviously like a, 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 a debate, a talking point coming out of the teaser. And I thought this looked gorgeous. Gorgeous and vast and sprawling. And it hit that... Boy, it scratched that Middle Earthian itch for me. That Tolkien itch. Like the scope, the poetry, that literary flair, the, the lyricism, the characters, the lore. It just felt like a trailer that is so steeped in an appreciation for the canon and for the world. And I'm, I'm fucking ready, man. I mean, I'm not actually ready, to be clear. I need to do a lot of prep work before the <laughs> Rings of Power drops. There's so much to get ready for in the next month and a half before all of these shows. But as a, as a fan, I am fucking ready to roll. I thought this was amazing. <laughs> I can't. And like, obviously I can't guarantee the quality of like this whole season or this whole series. But what I can guarantee is that JD, um, and Patrick, the showrunners, mm -hmm. they are fans. They are huge Tolkien fans. And you can tell. Uh, it, yeah, it just, yeah. as you say, the language, they're also language nerds. Like this is, you know, they, they are, they've studied drama, they've studied poetry, like all this sort of stuff. And that comes through in the language here where we're going to talk for in a second about like sort of maybe what books you might want to read before this, but they're at a slight disadvantage versus Peter Jackson's adaptations in that they're not directly at a, adapting a story that exists. So they can't right. lift lines of dialogue right. the way that they're Jackson did. Kernels. Yeah. Right. And so you have to be so much more adept, not that no knock on Jackson, obviously, but it's a different, it's a different muscle to, create something out of whole cloth. As you say, they pull like little bits and phrases here and there, but like the lines you hear in this trailer are not Tolkienian language, but they sound Tolkienian. And that is, that is so hard to do. Um, and to your point about scope, I think a lot of those, you know, this is, this is the, this is the time in the Tolkien filmed Tolkien canon, uh, where we get really excited to like, should we go to New Zealand? <laughs> like, you know, you get these like incredible overhead shots of like yeah. mountains and rivers and like Ring everything. Road trip? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's podcast from the <laughs> Shire. Down. I'm in. I'm in. The flight's only 29 Steve, hours Steve, Jomi, meet us in Numenor. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, we're just going to do like sort of a brief overview and then trust us that we will be 
diving this in deeper. This is just a taste. Closer. This is the amuse bouche. Amuse bouche. A little bit, a little <laughs> crumb of lumbus bread for you here. Um, so all you need is a crumb filling. <laughs> you know, it's true. The last year. Um, so the question, uh, I, I sort of put up on Twitter if people had questions. So I'm here to address like the main questions mm-hmm. I got back from people. Right. So when does this take place? Is a big question, right? Um, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy that you are familiar with, the Peter Jackson films or the books, you know, <laughs> takes place in the third age. This is the second age, which is thousands of years before Frodo left the Shire. Many thousands of years, as you might have deduced by from second, there's a first stage that came before it. So there's the story of the first stage, and that's really covered in the Cimmerillion, the Tolkien book, the Cimmerillion. This is the second age. And your so guy, this is, Morgoth, Joe. Oh, my best friend, Morgoth. You're, sure. you're, you're a big fan. <laughs> I've got the red Morgoth ball cap. So uh, listen, it's, it's, we're, the important part about when this takes place is that it's a time between wars. There's the first age, Morgoth did a lot of bullshit. And in the third age, we know that Sauron's going to do a lot of bullshit. And not that no bullshit went down in the second age, because we know it did. But this is a time where some people might have forgotten how bad it got. Mm-hmm. And guess who remembers? The elves, because they're older than everyone yeah. else, and they were there, right? right. And so that's like really a, a big part of this story is like how short the lives of men are and how quick they are to forget sometimes things because they didn't live through them and how long the lives of elves are. And this compared to uh, Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit, this is a much more elf-forward story because Mallory, Joanna, who's in this story that we might be familiar with who, who could live long enough to go from the second age to the third age? Well, Joe, this trailer featured prominently Heavily, dominantly, two of our pals, our guy Elrond, half elf, ever heard of him, and of course, Galadriel. I will probably say Galadriel like 5,000 times as we're doing our Rings of Power pods because the Baltimore accent is just going to slip in when it's going to slip in. So <laughs> I there's, your, there's your apology in advance. I hope everyone starts saying it that way. Galadriel, you want to go down to the ocean, hon, catch an O's game? <laughs> They're on a hot streak. This trailer showed us a lot. I mean, this was a meaty snapshot of what's to come, but Galadriel and Elrond were were central and Galadriel in particular. And they had some some nice moments together. And that idea of memory and the burden of that memory and the insights and the wisdom and the weight that would come from what you have already lived through and experienced, very palpable here. Something I love about that is that um, Tolkien wrote this, you know, Tolkien fought in World War I, came home, raised a family, and then his son went to go fight in World War II, and then he wrote a lot of, of The Lord of the Rings as, like, correspondence with his son who was serving. And that's a very, like, Bilbo and Frodo dynamic between like one generation to another, one adventure to another. Um, but so this idea of like, we've, we, we already did this and I remember it. Right. Like what Galadriel is saying here is very much like what Tolkien is injecting into his story. Um, this is not 
a spoiler in any way because this is the 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 prequel, prequel. The, the the premise yeah. of the yeah. story, right? Like Rings of Power. We all know what the Rings of Power are, right? There are the 19 and then there is the One Ring. And so this threat that many in Middle Earth think is gone that our gal gal <laughs> is not so sure this is the encroach of Sauron. Yeah. And Sauron was more a servant. Right. And so the end of the first age and the receding of this evil, there is a temptation, of course, in an era of peace to say, we're done with that. It's behind us. We did but it. If you've seen the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> <laughs> you know that that is not how it goes. And so Sauron returning and this evil reaching out and spreading back across the land. Get ready to see how it all happens. Hashtag Galadriel is right. Secondly, I feel like the middle, the, the men of Middle Earth, uh, they're called middle men uh, by some people, uh, <laughs> like unfurled that old, the mission accomplished banner. <laughs> and they're just like throwing themselves in parade. <laughs> and Galadriel's oh, like, not so fast. Okay. So <laughs> someone, someone asked me to do sort of like a character breakdown. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go through every single character, but I just think we should talk about the sort of groupings we get. Yeah, right? Do it. So we hit the elves. Elves are here. We've got Elrond, Galadriel, Gil-Galad. Arondir is an, uh, a new sort of creation of the show. Um, and they're sort of spread out all over the place. We've got the Numenorians, and this is a big Fuck deal. Yeah. It's a big <laughs> deal. Entertainment Weekly had a, had a I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know you love you love a seaside town. Um, Boy. The Numenorians, uh, Entertainment Weekly had a huge spread about Numenor and the Numenorians, but like they are not humans. They're not men. They're descended from Elrond's twin brother, who's also half-elven. So they have they have extended life. They're not immortal like the elves, but they're not short lifespan mortal like the humans. They live on an island that, you know, a lot of people compare to Atlantis. This is Tolkien's version of Atlantis, and they just have gorgeous architecture, advanced thinking, high culture, all this sort of stuff. Um, the thing that is clear from the specific Numenorians that they're including in this story is that this is where the Game of Thrones-esque palace intrigue stuff is going to happen. Um, any, what, like, why are you jazzed about, uh, is this a Baltimore Suns uh, reason why you're jazzed about the Numenorians? How do you know? I, I just, I, I'm just so excited that we get to see this on the screen. Like, this is such a central aspect of the lore and also a, a, a crucial part of the, the history of characters who we've spent a great deal of time with. Like, we know where Aragorn descends from, right? We know, we have seen in the, in the opening stretches of Fellowship, we get to see Isildur pick up the shattered blade and cut off Sauron's finger, right? Well, we get to see Isildur here. Youthful, hanging out on a boat. Looks like he's Seafaring. going to meet Arya. What's yeah. west of Westeros? <laughs> Isildur, you know? Like, <laughs> this is just... I'm really, really pumped about this. And the palace intrigue is a huge part of it, fleshing out and filling in um, this really, like, elemental aspect of the lore. Just something I'm, I'm excited to spend time with these characters in this realm. The idea of, of men who 
are not quite men, you know, who are human, but who have this longer life that allows them to just make more mistakes. <laughs> you know, the hubris that sets in when you're blessed with longer life and a sense of might and power and righteousness. I, I just think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff inside of, of Numenor itself, in addition to obviously how all of these different groups intermingle. So I'm hyped. See, see, seeing the, uh, the Isildur glimpse in the, the trailer was like a real, a real thrill. And I, I, I thought that actor was sensational in years and years. So I was yes. really, really, really Maxim hyped to Baldry. see him here. Yeah. Yes, he's so good in that show. It's a great casting. Uh, once upon a time, when he was first cast, I thought he might be playing Sauron because, just in case you've not heard me say it on another podcast, Sauron is canonically hot at this uh, at this time. And when I looked at the cast list, I was like, Maxine Baldry, obviously canonically <laughs> hot Sauron. Maybe not. Uh, definitely not. Okay. Um, I love it. Next groupie on the list is the Harfoots. We saw them in the Super Bowl teaser prominently and then here as well. They are Hobbit predecessors. So, the you know, they, they come before... The Hobbits, and what we can expect from them is sort of a classic hobbity adventure. We've got two young hobbits that are like kind of a, like a Frodo Sam analog here. And again, these are show invented characters, but uh, Nori and Poppy are basically like a Sam and Frodo type. What What's all this then? Um, lots you of twigs it. in their hair. Have to uh, have it. <laughs> I am, I am, when, uh, because I've seen some of the show when when the Harfoots showed up, that's when it felt like Middle Earth to me. And I feel like the Hobbits, the ho- like they're not Hobbits, but the Hobbity type folk are what set Tolkien stories apart from all other fantasy stories, right? Because dwarves and elves and all, all that sort of stuff exists in other. But Hobbits are Tolkien, and the Harfoots are sort of JD and Patrick's way to get Hobbits into the story because Hobbits weren't technically sort of in the Second Age, so they're like, well, they're Harfoots, so they're here. Well, and like not. Not overstating it to say that it is like the most quintessential and archetypal element of <laughs> this entire fantasy epic, right? Like the, the the unassuming person who you don't think is going to be involved in the thrust of it, finding a way into this great tale with all of this might and power around them. And the idea that anyone can make a difference. Like this is just, this is the, the, the most central thing to why we love these stories. So I am, uh, I'm really delighted uh, to, to get to meet all of the, the Harfoots and just can't wait to spend time with them. I love Lord of the Rings. I also love Lord <laughs> of the Rings. I'm so thrilled. Speaking of things I love, uh, they call it to mine, uh, Casa Dune. All right, so we're going to talk yeah. about the dwarves. Okay. So we, brief glimpses of the dwarves here. We get, mm. Um, a look at Peter Mullen, an actor that I really love, who's playing Durin the Third, the king of the of of Casa Dune. We get, but and and it looks like he might be holding a little bit of mithril, a little bit of mithril. So, um, but but above all else, we get this incredible shot of Casa Dune. We get Elrond in Casa Dune. In like, it is a ruin, a haunted, desolate ruin in Lord of the Rings, and here it is a thriving beautiful height of its power, Dwarven City. Um, I thought the shot of Casa Dune is one of the coolest. And they built a lot of that practically. And I think the the shot of Casa Dune is one of the coolest things in the trailer. It feels emblematic to me of what's like really exciting about the show, which is connective tissue that also feels like a wholly new and fresh thing for us. Like a, a, a way that we have just not gotten to see it before. I think that's the watchword of all of this is that they're re- what they're really trying to do at Amazon 
given the tricky rights of what they are allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do, is give us something really familiar, mm-hmm. but different. So for, for Mallory right. and Joanna, who rewatch the Peter Jackson films every year, every single year and revisit the, revisit the books tradition. and stuff like that, you know, like this is supposed to make us feel like we're back in that world, but it's not exactly the same. You know, they didn't slap a ton of CG on Kate Blanchett face, we got a different actress. But that actress kind of looks like she could become Kate Blanchett. So that's sort of that's sort of what we're working with here. Next on the list, we got other humans, middlemen. These are not the Numenorians, this is everyone else. Again, I just want to point out everything has recovered enough from the last evil that they're like, what evil? <laughs> they don't remember uh, all, all the evil that came before. Uh, Charlie Vickers, who plays Halbrand, I think is like our, our the biggest face of like, you know, mortal men that we get in this trailer, but they're, you know, they're kicking around. They're, they're, they're here, they're, they're everywhere. Uh, And then we've got this figure that everyone's calling the meteor man. I think Amazon's calling him the meteor man as well. This is a very mysterious wizardy looking, but is he a wizard? I don't know. I genuinely don't know who this guy is. Uh, Drops in a crater. I I think you sort of can't in a rings of power teaser trailer anywhere else inside of the Lord of the Rings universe put anyone or anything on top of a flaming vaguely circular orb-like mm-hmm. shape mm-hmm. and not have people at least speculate and wonder if there's going to be a connection to Sauron there. Right. It's an, an impossibility to not to not wonder. <laughs> so that's what I'm wondering. It's a it's a it's a great thing to wonder. So those are all our players, like our main our main category of players. Yeah. Well, Joe, you know? here's here's a yeah. question I, I have for you then. Yeah. If people are interested in learning more about some of those players and getting ready for this show in the, you know, decent-ish stretch of time before it premieres, but like also fairly tight window if you're trying to get ready for, I don't know, House of the Dragon and or She-Hulk, Sandman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Andor, as well. Yeah. Oh, you said Andor. I thought you meant and slash and or. And slash or. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh-huh. What would you recommend people read? Give them a, give them an old Robinson reading rap go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in like order of like least uh, time commitment to most time commitment. Right. Okay. okay. So if you want a quick and easy breezy, yeah, quick one. You're, yeah, you're gonna want to read the appendices of Return of the King. You probably own a copy of Return of the King somewhere in your house. Probably, you know. How uh, many copies of Return of the King do you think you have? I have three. <laughs> I might have like six. Wow. I have so many copies of Return of the King. (laughs) I'm going to count after this. (laughs) Might be overstated it. Um, Appendix A, titled Numenor, and Appendix B, titled The Tale of the Years, Tale of Years and Second Age. Hit those two, and that's the main source material that JD and Patrick are working off of, and everything else they're sort of embellishing around it. If you got a little more time on your hands... You could read The Cimmerillion. They don't have the rights to The Cimmerillion, but it gives you a lot of that first age background. It is sort of, when when people talk about The Cimmerillion, they talk about it as sort of like the Old Testament to the like New Testament that is maybe the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. But just something you should know going into Cimmerillion is it's a much drier like history-like text versus the novels that are you know, The Hobbit, uh, Fellowship, et cetera. So I like The Cimmerillion, but it's not for everyone, so... Just putting that out there. Imagine if we had to prep for a show airing this uh, late summer, early fall, where we needed to read a, a book that was uh, a history, <laughs> a history of uh, 
a fictional realm in order to get to get situated. I could I will say personally, I'm considering the Silmarillion essential prep just as like a vibe setter. You know, I feel like it's like a way to really just orient yourself in the mythology again and port yourself back to where you need to be heading into this show. But I support you. I support you. Mileage may vary. Uh, the Hobbit. Um, yeah. there's some stuff in there that could be helpful, and also it's just a crack and good read. So well, you, might wanna, you might want to check that out. Um, Never tire of rereading The Hobbit. <laughs> Never. This one is actually, I think, more more crucial than some of the others. Is the unfinished tales of Numenor and Middle Earth. This is uh, yeah. J.R. T- Tolkien, but edited by his son Christopher Tolkien, who became sort of the the guardian of the Tolkien estate and all the all the things that were published after posthumously. Um, this is a lot of important information on Numenor is in here. So I would actually, I would go, if I, if it were me, I would go appendices and then unfinished tales is what I would read, um, in order of importance. History of Middle Earth. This is a real commitment and hats off to you if you read History of Middle Earth. But if you want to be like a real, 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 real snobby book reader, which I know some of you love to be, uh, Chris Tolkien has this History of Middle Earth that you might read. And then last but not least. This is my favorite bullet point that you've ever put in an outline. (laughs) Iconic. Well, here's the deal. J.D. and Patrick are uh, grew up very religious. That's a thing about the showrunners here. And in talking to them, like I noticed some language in the show that uh, you know they pull from Shakespeare, they pull from like all these classical sources. But there's also some language in the trailer. We get Elrond saying to Galadriel, "Put up your sword." Galadriel is how he says it, right? Young Ned Stark. You know when I <laughs> when I first heard that line. Um, when I saw the footage that I saw, um, I was frantically looking at all the texts. I was like, is this pulled from some other text? And then I fi- I found out it's it's from the Bible. It's something that's in the Bible. And I think that JD and Patrick are not putting in biblical language intentionally. I think it's just baked into their brains from their upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible, I guess. <laughs> if you want to read the Bible uh, to get yourself ready for some of the language, you can. We got to go. We got to talk about Miss Marvel. Just... One thing really briefly before we go, Mallory, yeah. I want to ask you, do you have like a favorite image from the trailer? Oh, great question. Um, two of my contenders would have been the Isildur glimpse at, at 154 and the uh, <laughs> Meteor Man at, at 207, but we've already talked about them. I think my my number one pick, though, is, is actually pretty easy. It's really early in the trailer. It's the 14-second mark. That gorgeous, lingering shot of the two trees. Mm glowing brightly on the hill. We've got the gold tree, Laurelin, the silver tree just tucked behind Telperion, and the gold tree is, is, is bright and vibrant, and we get this, this gorgeous line accompanying it. This is the opening line that we hear in the trailer. There was a time when the world was so young, there had not yet been a sunrise, and then in, in tandem with, with seeing this shot. But even then, there was light and the light of the trees and the magic of the trees of Valar is like one of my favorite parts of the lore. And there are like some interesting timeline aspects of this that we don't have to get into here, but I'm just really curious to see how heavily this part of the story 
features? Uh, right, because that's a, regardless, that's a, it's just stunning. <laughs> that's a clear first age image. So what is this yeah. first age image doing in this second age story? Right. When, because uh, your guy, your personal fave, Morgoth, destroys them and he's gone. Yeah. So Listen, my best friend made some mistakes in the past. <laughs> yeah, we also get some images from what seems like the War of Wrath and the Oath of Fanor. So there's like a couple different first age images here that uh, yeah. questions. I'm also going to shout out a first age image. There's this just really strike. I love that you picked this beautiful, delicate, optimistic thing. Did you and pick I'm like, 112? Uh, is that a bunch of bodies? That was my next yeah. contender. It's a bunch of bodies in the water. Red, red light everywhere, sort of thing, and uh, and then I'm going to cheat and smuggle in a second shot, which is a Galadriel, seemingly covered in ash. Um, it's pretty incredible. Anyway, I didn't, I couldn't even tell that was water. That's interesting. I just thought it looked like floating in fire, which I think they're floating under. Like doesn't in make a, as much sense as floating on water. Now that you I say think they're that, floating so. underwater. I think they're in a lake, and there's fire raging above the lake. And Love like, it. yeah. Yeah, that it's was striking. striking. Very yeah. striking. It's interesting too, because like with our gal gal, you know, it can always be one of two things. It could be an actual experience, a callback to something from the first age to something that she's actually lived through an experience in the past, or perhaps a glimpse of some horror yet to come. I love a premonish. Could be a premonish. Absolutely. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. And I, last but not least, and I swear we're going to talk about Miss Marvel, a little snippet of Howard Shore's music at the start here, the Rivendell theme, uh, really to get you in the mood. There's an original song over it, which is just a really fun thing to put on a trailer. Like, how cool. And then some John Howe, like, concept art. John Howe is the concept artist on the Peter Jackson films and the concept artist on the show. So you see some of his... Again, if something looks familiar to you, if, if if like, the elven city of Linden, which is what we see in those, like, autumnal trees, if that looks familiar but new to you, it's because they have the same concept artist on both things. So, brings the power. I'm freaking excited. Me too. Could not I, be more excited. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> All right, should we talk about Miss Marvel? Let's do it! You would just... So perfect. That's what Kamal means in Arabic. Perfect. But in Urdu, it's more like, uh, what's the word? Wonder. Marvel. Kamal means marvel. We are here to talk about the, the series as a whole, but specifically episode six, No Normal, written by Will Dunn. AC Bradley, Matthew Chauncey, and directed by Adil and Bilal back from, you know, the beginning of the season. They're back here for the finale, that directing duo. And I think you can really see that stylistic mm-hmm. flair yeah. that we fell in love with at the beginning of the season popping back up here at the end. I guess I just want to start by asking you, Mallory, like now here at the end of it all, <laughs> what your what your overall season uh, long impression of, of Ms. Marvel is? I enjoyed the show. I think that it was you know, a a little uneven in the back half um, compared to the like real, real high highs of the the opening stretch. Um, I really, really loved the first four episodes and then was a little more mixed on on five and six as, you know, episodes in a vacuum. Um, But even even then, I think my 
my feeling on the show is pretty consistent episode to episode, which is I love Kamala Khan as a character and am like deeply invested in seeing her in the MCU in the future. I found the family-centric aspects of this story, the relationships with her parents, learning more about the, the generations inside of the family and the relationships between those generations, the found family among the friends, the community, the mosque, Jersey City, uh, all of that I thought was like so lovely and just really wonderful and could have spent happily eight, 10 episodes watching that story, both the family awakening and support and, and cementing and also the coming of age high school aspects of it. I really loved all of that and agree with your point about the visual um, flair and very like specific sensibility of the aesthetic coming back into play in the finale, the chalkboard sequence, et cetera. Like I loved all of that. And that felt very of a piece with the uh, coming of age ethos and intent of a lot of it. I thought that all was just like excellent. The mythology of it just didn't land quite as well for me. The aspects of the story centered on establishing the power set um, how the Bengal works, what exactly is happening with the Nord dimension, and learning more about the clandestines, for example. Uh, what is going on with Kamran's powers in this finale as he is, you know, whipping his uh, turquoise and, and orange-hued crystals everywhere? Um, that's the stuff that I really wish we had gotten to better understand, you know, some of the, the history of the group's um, and just a little bit more about the the lore. So that's my that was my feel on the the finale itself. And so then, like because of that, the fight sequence is kind of again like emblematic of of both of those poles. You have like the charm of the the teen group coming together and figuring it out on the fly. You know, I liked the way that the Midnight Boys described it as like Home Alone esque, right? What can we like workshop and whip up right now to outsmart our opponent? Um, and then you also have the. Uh, kind of yo-yoing and seesawing of like what is going on with Cameron with Cameron, which we just haven't gotten as much time to really like understand. And so it was kind of like a little bit of a seesaw in that respect. Um, so broadly, I I enjoyed it, and uh, that's my feeling on the finale and the season as a whole. How about you? Yeah. So the, no normal is um, I think it's an it's a it's so this is a nod to the comics run, right? It's called No Normal. That's the episode's called. But I think that idea really stuck with me in this finale of of the moment where Kamala who's who's approach to her superpowers and to fighting is always de-escalation and conversation rather than like confrontation and fight you know like that her her power set as she uses it is largely defensive um, and I really love that about there. And I really love that moment where she sort of, as you, as you say, I wish we had more time with Kamran. I wish we had more space to, uh, for him to vacillate the way that he does in this episode feels a little rushed. And I wish we had a little more space with it. But that moment when she's created a sort of like hard light igloo for them to sit in so she could take a moment and de and try to deescalate the things the same way that she did with his mom. And again, that's a, that's a moment that I wish we had a little bit more time with, but that's, that's who Kamala is, and I really, I really loved that moment. Season uh, as a whole, as as I think about the season, without 
revisiting certain episodes here and there. I love the arc of it. I love the overall shape of it. I think you and I agree on that. And I think what I think happened is that the people who are making the show, um, the very talented people who are making the show did something that I think is really understandable, which is like when you're telling a story that you care a lot about and you're not sure if you get to tell any more of it, if there even is going to be a season two of Ms. Marvel. And if so, are you going to be a part of it? You don't know. That's, that's not how TV works at Marvel, right? Um, you maybe want to throw everything in. You want to put everything into the story. So Bisha, in our interview later, we'll talk about some other things that she wanted to put in that got cut out. And we'll, you know, we'll talk about those things. But basically, they're comic book storylines. She's pulling from like future down the line Ms. Marvel comic book storylines. The trip to Pakistan, partition, some other things are, you know, and inside the shell of the basic. I've got my powers. I'm a teenager in Dirty Z City. What am I going to do with it? So I really understand the impulse to want to try to put everything in there, and especially the trip to Pakistan and the way in which her connecting with her roots um, strengthens and empowers what she can do back in Jersey City. I think all that's really important. I just think they simply didn't have time to do all the things that they ambitiously wanted to do. And so we got a little bit of a short shrift on some things. But in terms of like including stuff like partition, I think that's been such an interesting thing to hear Bisha and some of the other people who worked on the show talk about. It makes me think a lot about the way in which Watchmen and Lovecraft Country, you know, wanted to talk about the Tulsa race massacre, a a moment in history that a lot of people don't know, didn't know a lot about people who live in this country didn't know a lot about and to use the genre of, um, you know, well, genre storytelling to, to inform people of this history, to talk about the way in which it is crucial to the identity of so many people who live uh, in this country. And so I think, the idea of putting partition into this story is so strong. And again, I think I just wish we had more time for it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I I am, even though I thought episode five um, was, a, was, a, was a little, and even as we talked about last week, I really loved four and in general, I'm quite glad that we spent uh, a couple episodes in Pakistan with Nani for, for various reasons, like steeping the story in, in in partition in this culture in this family's history but like we don't get we can't get at least not in as fulfilling of a way some of the moments that we i think collectively enjoyed and loved and appreciated most in the finale without that like you can't have the moment where kamala's mother presents her the superhero suit that she has stitched in part because it is quite literally a collection of the different aspects of Kamala's history and story and the people who are meaningful parts of her life and her experience, but also because Mooney had to be able to have that, that she needed to be able to break through with her mother and find that closure and that sense of peace before she could then be that best version of a supporting mother for her own daughter, right? And so these these moments like deeply, deeply inform and propel each other. Yusuf is not there on that trip, but even so, we have a better appreciation and understanding of what this family's history is and how they think about 
the way that supporting each other and encouraging each other is like the the core foundational element in their lives, right? And so like uh, oh, one of the most lovely moments in the finale is their beautiful conversation on the roof where we learn and I, I you know we'll we'll probably circle back to this later so I don't mean to 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 go too far ahead, but when he is explaining why they named her Kamala, which again, we'll talk about more, but like to fast forward to the end of that absolutely beautiful moment, Joe, they did the thing. They named, they said the name of the show. And once again, I cried. We love when that happens. You get a little great bit of comedy where Kamala says, I share the same name as Carol freaking Danvers. And his response is, I don't know who that is. And he's chuckling, right? And it's like, right. Because for this family, the thing that is leading to all of the support and encouragement and worry in tandem as well is not the same thing that led you know some of our cast, some of our characters to Avengers Con in the beginning, even though that is also a valid part of this experience. Mm-hmm. Fandom, right? The community you yeah. build for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like all of those different manifestations of what uh, a unit and a group and a team can look like and all of the different things that inform that. Like, you need episodes like that. So I agree. It would have been great to have more time. Um, You know, I have long been, as you know, in the... We actually... I'm not in the everything should be a movie camp. I'm in the the show should be longer (laughs) camp. And I really do feel that. Like, if we had gotten eight episodes here instead of six, I think we just would have had a better understanding of the lore, but also just more time to really luxuriate in these beautiful relationships and familial bonds. It will not surprise you that the scene on the roof yeah, between Kamala and her dad is far and away my highlight of the episode. This is my favorite moment as well. It was so beautiful. And and what's funny to me is like every, everyone enjoys things differently and that's as it should be. But it's funny for me to see so many reactions of this episode centered solely on they said the word mutation, right? Like, and that's exciting, obviously. But I'm like, give me a, give me a gentle little talk on a rooftop between a dad and his daughter. Like, that's to me, that's what makes the MCU its strongest, right? And this is, I'm not saying anything new, and some, and not saying anything you and I haven't said a million times. But the the connection between the characters, those deep relationships, and that's something that I think when this show was at its best, um. That's what made it so special. You and I talked kind of emotionally about episode four and how there was a lot of deep moments for connection in that those episodes. Something I really like about the first two episodes and this episode is there's a lot of space in the margins. It's not the central story, but just like here and there, these little and often like funny exchanges between characters where the where the show is like, we have time for this. We have time for you to remember that Naki and Bruno are are really good friends with and important to Kamala. Um, you know, we have time to, you know, have the family tease tease each other and, you know, like all of that, all those little moments. And again, we say this over and over again in storytelling, but that's what makes the stakes matter when you understand what's at stake. When you understand the the love and the the charm and the importance of this world, then you care very much about the punchy, punchy, fighty, fighty, which hopefully it doesn't take up too much of our time. And it doesn't in this episode. Um, I, before we- <laughs> I Obviously, I agree. Like, when I think back to Captain America Civil War, yeah, the first thing that I think of is not the clash outside of the airport. Mm-hmm. 
it's Tony opening Cap's letter and hearing that line, we all need family. Like the Avengers are yours, maybe more so than mine. And that kills me every time, right? And like, that's a different type of family, but that's part of what's really beautiful about the MCU at its best. And these stories in general, and part of why we gravitate toward them is you can embrace the idea that you can find that family in so many forms, including right there in your own home, right there in your own living room or right there on your own roof, right? And I I, I know that I've talked to you about this before, but like my, f- yeah, it's true. My favorite scene in Endgame is... Natasha and Steve and a peanut butter sandwich. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that those little moments are so important. And those little more moments are what makes on your left at the end of that movie resonate so strongly. Right. So, um, before we get into sort of like our, our, our classic breakdown, uh, I, I just wanted to put your feet to the fire and make you rank all the Marvel TV shows so far. Oh my like, God. Uh, so the phase four shows, um, Okay, well, can I issue one of my classic caveats at the top, which is I reserve the right to change this at any point in time. And That's just how opinions work, man. <laughs> I feel, I yes. will say, I feel slightly ill-equipped to land on my ranking right now just because I have to, I feel like with the most recent, recent shows, Hawkeye, I mean, which is already like half a year ago, unbelievably, Moon Knight and Miss Marvel, I would really want to re-watch them all again before like firmly locking on my my order here. But um are we doing the the six live action or should I should I include what if as well? What if should be in there, I think. Okay, so number one, Loki. Number one is Loki. Mm-hmm. Number two is WandaVision. That's mm-hmm. that's the easy part of the list for me. I think those are mm-hmm. clearly in a, a tier of their own. Mm-hmm. I think then I go Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Then Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. then Moon Knight, then Falcon, then What If. And I really loved What If, to be clear. But that's probably my... That's probably where I would put it right now. I could see What If shooting up the, the ranks for me um, as some of those like multiversal mm. characters enter the story in a larger way, which feels mm-hmm. like an you know, inevitability. We've already seen it start to happen. Um, Inevitable. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Inevitable. Where did that bring you? Back, back to what? To if. me. Yeah, back to whatever. Right, um, okay. So that's my list, I think, right now. Who knows right. what it'll be tomorrow? What about you? For for me, WandaVision 1, Loki 2, Miss Marvel 3, Hawkeye 4, uh, uh, Moon Knight 5, What If 6, Falcon 7. Okay, so we have yeah. pretty similar lists, just a couple of the ones that yeah. are back to back flipped. And I think if the if Miss um, Marvel had been a little firmer in the middle, uh, you know, this could have been a contender with with Loki for me in terms of just my delight over meeting Kamala, and as you say, the, the uh, as the promise of those first two episodes, and then the 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 that spark that comes back here in the finale. Again, it's just that like visually creative, very zippy, fun, inventive um, vibe. All right. So we're going to talk about what we were just talking about, which is family. I just want to say, like, see if there's anything more we want to say about either the coming out scene. Yeah, I'll start there. The coming out scene. Any Anything you want to say about that? Um, loved it. I thought that the <laughs> we over here, because he always has his phone on speaker moment, was hysterical 
<laughs> so funny. Um, and, you know, it was a, a very much a, a way of showcasing this unflinching support married with this very real concern, right? We hear Kamala's father say that he's so proud. He thinks it's the most incredible thing in the world, but like, it doesn't mean you have to go volunteer looking for trouble, right? He's worried. And her response to that is, I don't think you raised me to sit by and do nothing when I can help people. And I love that paired with the point you made earlier about the defensive nature of the power and like when is it when do you use a shield and when do you use a sword is always one of the the fascinating aspects of a superhero story and i love kamala's embrace of two things can be true at once right you can actively pursue protection and aid and when you get there the thing you can throw up is that cocoon or that shield or you reach out with your hand and grab something and pull it back from, from the brink of, of destruction. So I thought that was a nice embodiment of her approach to being a hero. And, you know, this is literally a scene in a family living room. The entire episode takes place back in Jersey City in the community. And there's that... One of the things that I liked about the episode overall is, like, we talk a lot, obviously, with Peter and... and Spider-Man stories, you know, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, right? This idea that this is our friendly neighborhood Miss Marvel, but like the, 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 the friendly neighborhood is also there for her was just a really cool thing inside of this episode. Right. And that's a very Spider-Man 2 moment when the community shows up for Kamala, right? Yeah. Um, for me, a lot of, like... The evolution, the episode one versus episode six comparison for like Muniva, probably specifically, um, where Kamala's mother says in the first episode, no, I don't trust you. Are you kidding me? Of course I don't. And here says we trust her, right? Yeah. Like that that evolution or the evolution of designing, you know, good-heartedly but misguidingly designing the wrong costume for right. her in episode one right. and designing the perfect costume here for her in episode six. The fact that that costume shows up in one of the toffee boxes that we talked oh about God. in episode four. I loved seeing the, the toffee box. That was amazing. Kamala's discomfort over the Carol Danvers costume that she's wearing when she's like tugging at it in episode one versus her very powerful stance in the mirror. Yeah, now that, that she's wearing yeah. one that, you know, is like a little longer on her and just sort of like, you know, suits her her comfort level better. Um, I love all of that. And then I was I was having this conversation with with your pals and mine, uh Dave Gonzalez and Neil Miller. So the fact that Muniba makes her costume with some help from from Nani perhaps, um, I, I was like, has a superhero worn a costume made by their mom before? And the best comp I could think of is uh like in some stories of Superman, right? Martha makes the costume out of you know, Clark's baby blanket that is found from Krypton. That's where the S comes from. Not in every version, but in some versions. And uh, I just, I find that extremely charming. I might be missing other examples, but like, right, it's not often that the that mom makes the costume for you, right? Yeah. Um, I, just, I just found that extremely, extremely charming. It's great. And like you said, a great payoff of the, the Hulk uh, costume from the first episode. And the mirror thing, I loved the mirror moment so much in this finale because... 
in, in general, with the Carol of it all, obviously we will talk about the mutation <laughs> word and the Carol stinger soon. The fact that Carol is her idol and that her room is papered with these, 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 uh, the prophet, pro- can't speak today, my brain. The fact that her room is papered with all of these visuals that speak to her fandom, right? And of course, we as fans love that because it feels like so of a piece with the way we relate to these stories. Like, it's not a rejection of any of that. It's it's a recognition that you can embrace your heroes and find the things in them that then help you find that strength inside of yourself, right? Like this is about, it's a way to find and embrace and celebrate who you are. And so it's like a delicate thing actually to not feel like it's like hand-waving that origin and that really earnest love that Kamala has for Captain Marvel, but it's a bridge. It's a bridge to her finding herself. And like you think about the comics history there, right? Of like when she first when her powers first activate and she's literally, and as I've, as I've said on this pod, I started reading these comics mere weeks ago. So this is all very new to me, but so this was interesting, like to be experiencing these, these stories in tandem, she's literally turning into, she's shape-shifting into Captain Marvel, into Carol. And then over the course of the opening issues, embracing the fact that that shouldn't, that doesn't need to be the thing she does, that she is, she is the hero that other people can learn to look up to in turn. The added layer in the comics, the visual of, because Carol, you know, she makes a specific point and I, I feel like Charles and I talked about this at the beginning of the season, but like the Carol Danvers that she transforms into is not the Carol Danvers from like the Kelly Sue DeConnick run who wears like pants. Uh, the Carol Danvers that we've met in the MCU. It's like, OG oh, kind of, sexist uh like like no pants wearing leggy leggy blonde willowy carol danvers that's that's who this like you know brown teenage girl transforms her into this like willowy white woman with blonde hair and the 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 evolution she goes through of being like well i don't want to be her i thought that's what i wanted to be this ideal this like platonic ideal of what like a American girl should look like, but I want to look like me, I think is so powerful in the comics. And I think we get a version of that here, which is just sort of like, I don't need to put on that outfit. I can put on this outfit, which is so much more me. Um, and, and, uh, you know, when, when, when Muniba talks about sort of like modesty in the first couple episodes, again, I think Charles and I talked about this, but again, there's, there can be this instinct of, of, telling a story where that's just like the older generation's idea. Modesty is the older generation's idea and I'm the younger generation and I will, I'm going to, you know, dress in a more westernized way or whatever. And I think it's a more interesting and deeper story to say like, yeah, this is interest. This is something that I care about too. Even as like a teenager and, you know, growing up in America, et cetera. I, I thought that was really good. And to your point about to go to the conversation with Yusuf on the rooftop where he gives, he quote unquote gives her her name. <sighs> Loved. The, the best part about that is that he says you know, that she was always a Marvel. Yes. That, that that this isn't like yes, exactly a clunky. Now you're such a Marvel. It this was right. always a part of her. Yes. Pre powers, 
she was a marvel. Yes. Pre-anything, pre pre-her even being aware of who Carol Danvers is, being a marvel was built into who she is. Yes. And uh, it's just a crushingly, achingly beautiful moment in the episode. So moving. What's the word? Wonder? Marvel? Kamal means marvel. And it, it, oh, when he says... You sure are and always have been our own little Miss Marvel. And she like nuzzles against his arm and says, I love you. It's just so wonderful. And it it does connect it does connect quite poignantly with this is one of the areas where the mythology and the family focus actually meet effectively because it connects very nicely with a lot of what we've heard over the cro- uh, over the course of the series from Bruno's initial assessment through the insights that Walid and Kareem are imparting, et cetera, unlocking what is inside of her, what is already there. And it is just such a truly empowering and inspiring message for the character, but also for all the people watching at home. It was, it was just a lovely moment. I, I hope we, I hope we get to spend more time with her family. I don't know if they will be in the Marvels, but I really hope we get to spend more time with them. I'm going to do something really predictable here and talk about a TV show you might've heard of. Is this Buffy Bingo time? Which is Buffy Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Um, Because I want to talk about Zoe swooping in Mm. here into this episode. Zoe, who we haven't seen since episode two, I believe. You need that sweet theater light for the (laughs) tic-tac-in. I mean, I think they, they... Really easily, quickly convinced me why she was there at the school. But a couple things. First of all, Abisha will talk in our conversation about how the school wasn't always the intended location for this showdown. But I love that it takes place in the high school at night. That is a classic Buffy move. G. Willow Wilson, I believe, who who wrote the original Miss Marvel comic, is a Buffy fan. And there is a dynamic in the group here We've got Bruno, who maps onto the character of Xander. We've got Nakia, who maps onto the character of Willow. And we've got Zoe, who maps onto the character of Cordelia. These are the, they're called the Scooby Gang. These are the friends that circle Buffy and Buffy Vampire Slayer. So when you've got the grouping here at the high school at night, and Cordelia is such like, Cordelia, who's the bitchy mean girl who becomes like, you know, a heart and soul of the group. And Zoe goes on this tremendous arc in the comics And so I love that they didn't forget her and they brought her back in for this. I love that she's part of this. There are some hints to, in the comics, Zoe eventually, um, like, you know, comes out as queer. And so there are some, like, really light LGBT hints in this episode. She talks about out, like, outing your, like, just, you know, when you out yourself and when you make that decision for yourself when she's talking to Nakia about Kamala and her journey through things. And at the end, they talk about like allyship a little bit. So it's just like little light touches. The reason why those little like air kisses of LGBT representation don't like works for me is because there was never anyone going around saying Miss Marvel's a super gay show. They never promise this. They're just sort of like, we're going to give you a nod to the journey that Zoe goes on in the comics. And if, if we have time and if we have another season, we'll maybe pay this off down the road. But in the meantime, she's here pulling a starlight from the boys, weaponizing social media to help them. How did you feel about the Zoe involvement here? I liked what we got with all of these characters together, the whole ruse that unfolds, everybody wearing the matching outfits to dupe 
the the dummies from damage control bruno whipping up his concoction in the lab uh as i already noted i thought the chalkboard planning sequence was just like that real vibrant um inventive specific visual flair so i was really glad to get all of that i it also, though, does feel like a sequence where I wish we had gotten more time with those characters leading up to it. Like, it would have been great. I'm glad Zoe was here, but it would have also... It is also true that it would have been great to have more time with her before. And I, I really I really feel that way about Nakia because this friendship, not only with her and Kamala, but then the group with Bruno as well. Like, when, when, they, when they're pulling up in Kamran's car at the end, and you get this just, like pure distillation of high school life, right? And like growing up and being out at night with your friends and the freedom that you feel when you have a pair of keys, a set of keys in your hands for the first time. Like I would have just watched a whole season of that. And so you, not only was, was Nakia such a compelling and interesting character and beautifully portrayed that I would have just loved more time with her on her own to see more of what she's doing in the mosque, to see more of her own journey, Inside of that friendship, I really longed for more of it because you get that like really key exchange here when Kamala says, okay, but you like kind of hate superheroes. I didn't want you to hate me. That is fascinating. You know, so such a central part of so many superhero stories is the moment when the people in the hero's life learn yeah. <laughs> their secret identity. Like, we're always going to get a few of these at yeah. the end of a first season of an origin story show, right? It's, it's yeah. classic. It's always going to happen. If one of the people closest to the, the central character maybe isn't into that, doesn't think it's the coolest thing in the world, doesn't have Ned's like, <laughs> this is the best thing that's ever happened to me reaction to learning that Peter is Spider-Man. That's like a really rich text to examine. And again, she's she is supportive here. It's not like there's an actual rift, but I actually think that's even more interesting then. Like it doesn't have to be a firm either or like far extreme of the spectrum. There's so much nuance. And it's like, this is a very silly thing to say, but... It's always interesting to me that the characters of these stories live in the world with the other characters in the other stories, right? Like you guys talked about this in the first episode. They go to Avengers Con because the Avengers are in their lives. Like the magic and the superhero existence is all around them. These characters grow up in a world where Thanos can come and snap away half of existence. Or if you're living in Jersey City, then right around the bend, the Chitari are coming to New York. So what do they think about all of that? Like, I, I just wish we got a little more time with with that. No, I agree. And that's that's the moment where you're like, should they have gone to Pakistan at all? But I think you and I agree that, like, that right. feels so elemental to the story. But in doing so... I don't want to have to we, make the trade-off. I just... We <laughs> lose Nakia for three... I mean, honestly, a solution that I came up with in my head, and I don't know if this feels fair at all to say or whatever, but I was like, what if they had taken Bruno and Nakia with them to Pakistan? I don't know if, like, you know, you have to jump through a few hoops to make that make sense, but that would have injected some of that like fun friendship lightness that we like in episodes one and two and this finale here. The cousin characters just didn't seem to work at all. And they, I think they were sort of supposed to be that, but they didn't really, I mean, why are the cousins even there? Right. And so like, maybe if those characters had could have been there, but maybe it was important for Kamala to do that on her own. Like who, who's, who am I to say, but I, Bisha talks a little bit in our interview about some, maybe some cut Nakia storylines, but I think what's crucial in the comics is that Nakia does not find out that 
Kamala is Miss Marvel for so long. And she hates Miss Marvel, um, Ms. Marvel, and she ha- and she has reasons to in the community. She feels like it's bad for the community. And she has reasons to. So that tension of like Nakia loves Kamala, but shit talks Ms. Marvel because she hates her is like a thing that runs through the comics that they just decided to sort of hit the fast forward on. So you just get like that briefest of exchange rather than a long simmering tension around that. And I think that's that's interesting. Uh, a function of would that we had more time. Um, all right, so let's talk about the Department of Damage Control as the final boss here. I think something that we had talked about in terms of the Najma storyline sort of wrapping itself up in episode five is we weren't sure. We're like, so she's going to go back to Jersey City and then it's Department of Damage Control? Like, is that really what we want to deal with in the finale? But I've reversed my opinion on this, like sort of dramatically after hearing, we didn't get a chance to talk to Bisha about this, but something she said in interviews about the way in which um, damage control, and we've had lines about this all season, the analog between damage control monitoring superheroes the way they do and other government agencies monitoring, surveilling, harassing Muslim Americans um, is, I think, a crucial parallel uh, you know, that they're drawing here. Specifically, of course, this line, this is what happens when the wrong people get powers. Right. From and Deaver. Yeah. From Agent Deaver. And then, you know, she says, I mean, kids. Right. But you're like, right. You? Barry says, what do you mean the wrong people? <laughs> kids, right. That is not obviously what, what she means, right. Um. So how did you feel about Department, Department of Damage Control being involved here? I, I agree. I found this to be more fulfilling and... um that I think those parallels are really more fulfilling from a story structure standpoint in the finale than I was expecting. And then to your point about um, those very overt and, and, and poignant parallels, I, I thought that, that that really worked. The, the damage control, the, in general, I think that the opposing forces were the least fully fleshed out aspects of the show, both with damage control and with the clandestines you mean cleary versus diver or just all of it (laughs) honestly right yeah like we just don't really spend a a lot of time with either group um and so i think that there's an aspect of that where we are just not as invested in damage control in general or agent diver in particular as like a final showdown final foe presence in the story are just not as compelling as maybe some of the other um, figures who are central characters would be facing off against in the finale at the end of a full season of TV. But both for the, the point that you just made, that very stark, harrowing parallel, and that the way that this does port us back really fully into how deeply rooted in the neighborhood and in the community this finale is and the show needed to be, I thought it actually was really helpful in that respect. I also really love the use of Sheikh Abdullah in this, both in his... So great. His interactions with Kamran and Bruno and with his interactions with Agent Deaver. You know what I mean? And her disrespect of like wearing 
wearing shoes walking into the mosque or right. She um, says, I don't know. have time for Quranic quotes, excuse me. And he says, Actually, yeah. that was Abraham actually, Lincoln. Well, actually, Agent Deaver. You I, know, so, I so yeah. loved the the moment that he had with Kamran um when he is 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 helping Kamran and, and Bruno escape and says, just because someone treats you as their enemy doesn't give you the right to treat them as yours. Like that real heart and real real grace yeah. even when people have not earned it was like a, a a lovely and important moment such a key line and it, it it's a it's a line that just made me wish we had more time with Kamran's back and forth do you know what I mean because that's that's the kind of moment where I'm like I want to dig into this more he has reason like when he feels attacked he has reasons to lash out it's understandable but I just need more than the runtime that this episode can allow with everything else that has to wrap up, um, to, to spend some time with it. Um, something, a, a theory that I saw pop up, I think it was, um, my favorite source to cite Ryan Airy over in Screen Crush. Um, this idea that, um, the drones that we've been seeing, um, Department of Damage Control use, um, which look like Stark tech, that their use and frankly abuse of that tech could lead us into an upcoming Armor Wars TV series. That Rhodey, that the Armor Wars, we presume, based on comic uh, material, will feature Rhodey trying to keep Stark tech out of the hands of people who would abuse it. And so will damage control be part of that conversation? Um, I would never say no to more Stewie in the MCU. So I wouldn't be upset about it. Um, as Kamran is facing down damage control, we get Kamala embiggening. Yes. She says embiggen as she, she does in the it. comics. Yeah. I actually want to, I'm going to go rogue here. I don't actually don't know if he, Jomi, are you here? Uh, I want to pull Jomi in here for a second and ask him, um, you know, I, I, I know that you get, you have, Plenty of time to talk about this on the Midnight Boys, but like since Kamala's power set was felt so important to you leading up to this and the changes that they made, I just want to on our show hear you talk about whether this embiggening worked for you. It did and it didn't. It did in the fact that like you know you get to see her do it, and then she actually becomes bigger. Like that, that's cool. Like as a fan of the character, like awesome. That's great. What didn't work is how like. It was just like so unceremonious, you know what I mean? Like I kind of felt like it should have been a a bigger moment, you know. But it was still cool to see. I was still really like, ah, she she said the thing, you know. It was still it was still fun uh, to see that see that come to life. But I don't know. I just wish it had a little more, you know, a little more, a little more sparkle, a little more pizzazz, a little more genesis qua to it. <laughs> Do you want a little bit more of like the moment when uh, Ant Man becomes Giant Man? Something where it's like, holy shit, this is happening, right? Um, you know, yeah. Like it, 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 it was still cool though. Like no matter what, it was still cool to see that like live and in live action. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, Mallory, how did yeah, you feel about it? it? It was, it was, it was obviously fun to 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 hear her say and begin. Um, I. I, I don't disagree with Jomi. I think, though, I would almost say rather than having more an extra beat on the back end to be like, what, to have the whoa moment, I almost would prefer to have the beat at the beginning where we get like the 
the workshopping basically inside of the show that leads to that term becoming a key part of her superhero vernacular, like in her power yeah. activation, right? Because it's sort of like if you haven't now, Marvel stories and comic books, movies, and shows are often full of Easter eggs that won't that won't all mean something to everyone who watches. That's completely fine, but because it was like really central, I was like, wait, are people going to understand what that's? A reference to like is how many people are having a Captain America like moment where then they're waiting to get to say I understood that reference about something else in the wake of it like I I think you <laughs> need that line where it's like oh boy I, what I need is like to be able to get big or like what I need to like uh, and she like <laughs> she embiggened her fist earlier in the season right yes. and so if like if you had like Bruno or something or someone say like does the rest of you embiggen or something? You know what I mean? Like something like that, like, you know, some sort of, so yeah, the moment has a little more to it. phrase, right? Like her path to that inside of the show would have been a fun little thing to establish. And but both for that term in general, but just more broadly, again, because I think like seeing her talk about how her powers work, like we have one of the little moments in the family living room. And I almost thought this was like a wink to us, right? Like a recognition that there are a lot of unanswered questions was the rapid fire series of questions about her powers and how they work, none of which we got answers to, which was, um, you know, very meta. So I think they're also leaving the door open for how her powers might manifest themselves in the Marvels, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right. I want to talk about Bruno for a second because earlier in this conversation, I compared him to Xander Harrison Buffy. And I just want to like zoom back around and say, listen, Xander is a character that is aged like milk in terms of his added his possessive attitudes around Buffy and stuff like that. The thing I love about Bruno is that we see his like pangs of jealousy, like when he sees Kamala and Kamran holding hands or whatever. Yeah. But about it, to kiss. But it never manifests itself as like shitty, petty, possessive behavior. You know what I mean? Like there's a little bit of light comedy around it, but there's never like, I just want to, I just love Bruno. I love Bruno. I've loved him throughout. I love the way that he just like goes all in to help Kamran, you know, like his rival in all of this versus let's say what Xander did to Angel and Buffy. You can, you can process that if you're a Buffy fan over there. Um, it's, uh, I just love him. I, earlier in the season, I was asking like if he was the best guy in the chair that we've ever had in a show and a bunch of people were like excuse me ned hacked like a stark laptop like what are you talking about um bruno discovered got to say mutation for the first time in the mcu so i mean that's a big notch is rising right yeah that's a that's a big one that must have been an incredible incredible thing for for that actor to get to do. Uh, I also love Bruno when he, when he walked in and saw them holding hands, just cuddled up together about to kiss tough one for him real. I found myself thinking powerfully of our, our shared love Jorah (laughs) and what it's like for him to see Danny and Dario together. (gasps) Tough stuff for Jorah, tough stuff for Bruno here. But yes, I also adore Bruno. Um, the concoction that he whipped up in the school, that like whipped cream, like meringue, <laughs> expansive foam 
was uh, incredible stuff. Wishing him well at Caltech. Gonna miss him. What was up with the letter that he put in the locker? Because that was this, uh, so stupid. I'm sorry. Okay, so uh, here's how I understand it. I'm sorry. Like this is like I have so much room for a lot of messiness in the show, but that was a really messy moment because like so he's wearing the Caltech such shirt and he puts a letter. We presume, let's say, in Kamala's locker, right? And I presumably, would think it's, so yeah, it's a letter saying, "Hey, I've decided to go to Caltech." Maybe other thing I've always loved you or not or whatever, but like I've decided to go to Caltech. The fact that we never get to see her read that letter, the fact that it is not mentioned in any way, shape, or form in their actual goodbye scene. That was the thing that bugged me. Like, like if he's I bearing th- his soul in that letter, presumably he put it there because he thought he wasn't going to see her again after, but he has this huge thing to tell her. Or maybe she's gonna find it in season two. I don't I know. If but it was like, like a like an editing thing, like the with the the magnitude of the mutation mention and how late in the process that was added. Absolutely, but then I then I would snip yeah. this the shot of him putting the letter in the locker. But in the like first you're place. saying, if if the letter's gonna come into play, then they have to keep it in, and they can't put that after the mutation <laughs> moment because then it's like anticlimactic. Yeah, it was it was strange. I feel like they needed a moment where we could understand, like, we weren't going to see him tell Naki and Kamala that he was going to Caltech, so we needed a moment where we understood that he had already told them, but I didn't need that moment, and the letter thing just felt confusing as a result, you know? My guy's walking around in a Caltech hoodie. I don't think the fact that he's going to Caltech is a secret, and they've had a conversation, like, about the fact that he was accepted and that this is a real possibility already. So I am assuming it has to yeah. be something about his feelings in the, in the okay. letter, not the Caltech. Well, maybe reveal. like he j- pulls up in the, in the car and it's like, it's only a 43 hour drive and they're all joking about it. Like I the know, fact but that's that he's going to Caltech doesn't seem like the, con- it can't, that can't be what's in the letter. It's gotta be <sighs> okay. like, I, I love, I love you. <laughs> I always have. Right. I love you. always have. All right. Um, Signed from Mike at the end. <laughs> oh God. Just, just no, kidding. Bruno, you know that Bruno, <laughs> Bruno would, would drop the L yeah, word without absolutely. any question. All right. <laughs> Let's talk about Marvel Studios mutation, mutants and Inhumans. Let's, Let's talk about it really quickly. With apologies to Jomi, um, I've... I, I have been told uh, this is going to be a moment where like people might pull this from the podcast and be like, Joanna Robinson, the Ringerverse reports. Um, I'm, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to frame this as like a loose, loose, loose rumor. Don't put me on blast around this. I've been told Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not canon in the MCU. That's what I've been told. If that's the case, uh, Joe, just said I quit in our, in our zoom chat. Sorry, Joe. That's what I've been told. Shout out to Joe, me, uh, my apologies. The thing about the Inhumans is really tricky because the Inhumans were, you know, long existing in the Marvel comics, but when, at the time that Fox studios had, yeah, the, the time that Fox studios had the rights to the mutants. And so Marvel Studios couldn't say the word mutant or mutation or any of that. That's when they had this mandate over at Marvel Publications, Marvel Comics, to not create any more new mutants in the comics because creating new mutants in the comics was just giving material to Fox. And they're like, why would we give Fox, who's running the X-Men franchise, why would we give them our our brand new shiny uh, characters? So... When G. Willow Wilson and uh, Sanaminat were creating Kamala Khan, 
they wanted to make her a mutant. This is something that Sana said in an interview with Empire. They wanted to make her a mutant. This was the original plan, but they couldn't because they were not allowed to create new mutants over in Marvel Comics at the time. So they made her an Inhuman. And that's that's sort of why the Inhumans sort of, the, the Inhumans was the workaround despite the fact that they existed in the comics since the 60s, the Inhumans were the workaround for the fact that Marvel was not allowed to do mutant storylines. What's also true is that Kevin Feige wanted to do an Inhumans movie. Jeff Loeb, who was running Marvel TV at the time, wanted to do an Inhumans TV show. And Jeff won that tug of war, and he got to do the Inhumans TV show. This is a rare L for Kevin Feige. He put the Humans movie up on the big board at Comic-Con, right? And had to take it off the board, give it to Jeff Loeb, who's running Marvel TV. Jeff does a real crap job with the Inhumans TV show, let's be clear. Uh, And so I think not only is Marvel Studios as they exist now really eager to get on the mutant train... But as opposed to Kevin Feige's usual Feige fix it, let me wrap my arms around previous mistakes, despite the fact that Handsome Anson Mount is in Multiverse of Madness, I don't think the Inhumans TV show is something that he is all that interested in rehabbing because that was a rare thing that he lost control of. It has nothing to do with him. He didn't do it. So that lands us here with mutant Kamala. And so for people who are like, this is a retcon or a betrayal of her origin story, from the creators themselves, they always wanted to make her a mutant. And now they can because they own the rights, the screen rights to the mutants. What do you, what do you, how do you feel about all this? This also doesn't mean that we will never get the Inhumans in the MCU. I mean, you mentioned we got Black Bolt on Earth 838 in Multiverse of Madness. A little wink, right? Tied uh, tied folks over until the potential introduction of the uh, more formal introduction of the Inhumans on, on the 616 continuity in the future. Maybe we'll see them elsewhere in the multiverse in the near term. Who knows? Um, I think that because we know that the X-Men are a top, top, top line priority and have to be, and soon. We know we are getting the Fantastic Four, right? We just got the Reed Richards. And, and again, we said we said spoilers for all of the MCU. We got Reed Richards in Multiverse of Madness on A38, but we know we're getting a Fantastic Four movie at the end of Phase 4. Like, all of this is happening. All of these new characters, all of these origin stories already. It, we don't need to add anything else to the mix. <laughs> we can we can wait on Inhumans. It's fine, and I don't I don't say that to d- diminish like the rage that anybody who's really attached to the Inhumans feels. That's just how I personally feel about it. I I was really excited, really excited in this moment with Bruno when he when he when he said mutation and we got the the 97 x-men theme the beat of the accompaniment so there is no mistaking it there's no room to parse well he said you know kamala there's something different in your genes like like a mutation or oh are they gonna are they gonna change their minds later because this was mutation there could be other forms of gene augmentation uh even uh, even the creed gene augmentation of humans that <laughs> was eventually activated by the Terrigimus for Kamala's character when she was an inhuman. Um, no, you know, we got that, we got that musical note for a reason, right? This is, this is it. We, we're here. We had the incredible fake out of Ralph Boner, a thing that we will never forget, right? Or forgive. We, we had Evan Peters, Quicksilver from the Fox X-Men universe come into WandaVision and we were sure. We were sure that it had happened and it was there. And then... Okay, should I redo my 
Mar- Marvel TV ranking. <laughs> Every time someone reminds me of Ralph Boner, my, my, <laughs> my WandaVision fandom like wobbles There's a little. There's no Ralph Boner and Loki. I'll just say that. And then we got Professor X in Doctor Strange and that was massive. That was huge. But also that was 838, not 616. And so that's this big, big thing but there's still the wait. When is it coming into our primary continuity? And this, here we go. This is the this is the utterance inside of the six one six. It's a declaration of intent. Some people, including some of the people here on this Zoom with us, are very impatient. I'm excited. I think that the X Men being introduced into the MCU is like one of the, the 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 most important things that can happen and needs to happen and is going to happen. So I can't wait. The idea that Kamala gets to be the the part a really key part of our MCU specific uh activation here is cool and exciting. I think there are a lot of questions that then stem from it in terms of what this means, uh what the canon will be, what the explanation will be are mutants just now. Is the mutant gene just now activating? If so, how why? Have mutants been in the 616 throughout the entire course of the MCU and not participating in these events? If so, how are they going to explain that? Now, that would not be the first time they had to explain something like that inside of the MCU or even phase four of the MCU, but it's that's a tall task, right? So there are a ton of questions. I'm not implying that this will be smooth or simple, but I'm excited to find out what those answers are. Speaking of answers, we're going to find out. Carol, Dan- okay. Yeah. Because it feels so good to me yeah. when you tell me that I was right about something. I want to press pause and give you. This is really rare. Still, I don't get this a lot. Yeah. Bring it. Molly Rubin. Yeah. <laughs> saying, no way do we get Carol Danvers anytime before the stinger. Yeah. Yeah. At one point, I like paused the episode to be like, do we still have 20 minutes left? Could I still <laughs> possibly be right? Yeah. No. Uh, so I, I said, maybe we get more Carol. Dan- I was, I was, I just put my chips on it. I was wrong. It's, it's good. Right. It's like, Love to see now it. Now our scoreboard for predictions is like 1,474 <laughs> for you and like two for me. So my make more predictions. Here. <laughs> That's because I predict irresponsibly. So you got to hit. If you're just like spewing predictions left and right, you got to hit every once in a while. So we get Carol Danvers here and and, and uh, I thought it was clear from context, but in case, case people were confused, this has been cleared up in interviews. This is not a... a Oh, Kamala has turned into Carol Danvers. This is a swap situation where this is the Carol Danvers in Kamala Khan's bedroom going, where the hell am I? Why is there fan art dedicated yes. to me all around this I room? I have wound up in a shrine <laughs> that Uh-oh, someone has made gotta for go. me. Gotta <laughs> go. Yes. Uh, first off, uh, I know a lot of people care a lot about uh, Carol Danvers short hair but I just want to say I really loved the hair that she was rocking in this scene I thought it oh, looked yeah. great Great. the suit looked Big great fan too of the new awesome hair. suit S- suit looks great yeah. um, the marbles July next summer July 28th 2023 Kamala Khan will return uh, Monica Rambeau will return Carol Danvers will return um, we know that Zoe Ashton uh, you know Mrs. Loki herself will be the villain. Uh, pretty exciting. Can I share something that I... So the actress who plays uh, Kamala's mom, uh, Zenobia Shroff, posted a photo that has a mild 
casting Miss Mar the Marvel's casting spoiler in it. I have not seen this. I don't know what because this is. she posted it. Do you feel like I'm allowed to talk about it? Has anyone made her pull it down? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Um, I, you know what? You, you do what feels right. I <laughs> okay. Skip ahead. Skip ahead. If you don't want to hear something that was pulled from Zenobia. Sh so she's in the Marvels. That's a thing we know that that's announced. Kamala's family is in the Marvels. Skip ahead. Skip ahead. If you don't want to hear this other thing and the background of a photo that she posted Fuzzily in the background were like the headshots of all the actors who were in the Marvels and up there with Brie, et cetera, Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie in the Marvels. How would you feel about it? Whoa. Yeah. I'm trying to process this in real time. I, did, I knew nothing about this. Okay. If you skipped ahead and you're wondering what the silence is, we're still processing it. So keep <laughs> skipping. <laughs> you don't want to be spoiled. What's your theory? I mean, you know me. I'm like, is is this the queen King Valkyrie has been looking for? Uh, I don't have like a strong one. You know, like she's got a horse that can portal hop into space anytime she needs to. Like she she could wind up and keep skipping in like a in a cosmic setting if she needed to, you know? And I don't know if it's just like a five second, you know, who knows to what extent, et cetera. The thing I want I do want to say about Kamala's family being in the Marvels for however long they, you know, it might just be we get to see Carol run downstairs and be like, where am I? And and see Kamala's family. Like, it could just be that amount. I don't know. I'd like them to be in the entire movie, personally. Absolutely, I would. <laughs> and I was, it, it was giving me Doctor Who feelings in the Russell T. Davies run of Doctor Who. The Companions families were always like Rose Tyler's mom or Donna Noble's grandpa. Like, the families were always kind of like, so the Earthbound hero gets whisked into a cosmic adventure. But the Normie family was like, there on the margins, like sometimes drawn into adventure, sometimes not. And I always loved that aspect of the of the that run of Doctor Who. So I'm excited that we're going to get more of Kamala's family. Do you have any Bengal theories that you want to talk about? I just want to know more about how the Bengal works, which is like a pretty basic thing to say here at the end of our journey and on the eve of our next one. And I think what you said earlier is is fair that like we're gonna clearly because of the. <laughs> Bengals role here in this place swap. Um, learn more about this power. Now, we have seen the Bengal previously take Kamala back in time, right? We talked about that at length already um, in, prior, in prior pods. So the fact that the Bengal can activate portals across time and space is not necessarily a new thing that's established, but learning more about how that works. What activates it? Like, is this a similar, is this a parallel, a similar situation where there's some tandem happening or occurrence that is leading to this pull? Why the swap? Does the swap, because something could be pulling Kamala, much like it, it previously pulled her back to the 40s, but what is, what is pushing Carol here into Jersey City? Does that imply a link is the second bangle in play here, wherever Carol previously was? Is there a connection here as we've as we've posed without insight or answer, but merely as a, as a question many times? Is there going to be a connection here to 
the beacon in the Ten Rings and what that call might also be activating out in the cosmos. To be clear, to be crystal clear, other than that one like social media post that I just alluded to in the skip ahead spoiler section, I know nothing about what the Marvels is about. Zero. Um, I know zero, zero, literally zero. nothing about what the Marvels is about. Zero, zero, zero. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if the Ten Rings right. are somehow the other bangle. I don't know if Carol, Carol and her investigations you know, is prodding at the bangle and that's what mm-hmm. like pulls her here. All that's like, all of those theories are really fun. Outside of that, I think there's a really rich opportunity for the Marvels because given Kamala's like sort of fangirl status around Carol, the young girl who maybe now is lost in space and needs help or, you know, whatever the case may be. And the fact that Monica, mm-hmm. who was once that girl for Carol, you know, in a way she wasn't quite a fangirl. She was family, but like was in that position. And as now we learn through context clues in WandaVision at odds with Carol, there's something about the way that she felt like, I don't know, that Carol abandoned her, abandoned her mom, all that sort of stuff, that there's animosity there. I think that dynamic is so rich Mm. for exploration of those three women, the, the, interaction of like fandom never meet your heroes or or growing up and learning that the people that you might have hero worshipped are real flawed humans too and all that sort of stuff like i think there's so much rich interaction potentially in the mix there i have no idea what the um like what the premise of that adventure would be right. but the personal interpersonal dynamics yeah is appealing really fascinating for that yeah. so are you expecting uh, and and looking forward to some some Cree connections here, because that that seems very much in play. You know, we talked already about the blue arm on which the Bengal was found inside of this series. Obviously, Captain Marvel's storyline connects uh, to the the Cree Empire, and that's some. You know, there's some some Bengal bands, comic canon parallel possibilities there that could come into play. Is, is that is that something that you're anticipating, or do you think this will all be fresh MCU canon? Summer of no anticipation. No, um, not here. I, <laughs> I, uh, I think that's fine. I think if it's Cree, that's great. And if it's not, that's great. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not very emotionally attached to the Cree at all. Are you emotionally attached to the Cree? Emotionally attached <laughs> to the Cree? I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that. I mean, as you know, I'm. Uh, uh, you love a blue I, person, I, right? I love Lee Pace <laughs> deeply, and so I'm, I'm always fond of the time I get to spend with Ronan. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm, do I'm, I have, I'm just going to disagree. I think that's like one of the most egregious wastes of an actor in the MCU no, is oh, Lee Pace is, and Guardians. Uh, Ronan is not my favorite. Uh, <laughs> not, not my favorite, but I, I do love literally any excuse I get to spend time with Lee Pace. <laughs> oh, I meant to send you. I'm going to send it when we're done this Instagram photo that he posted the other day. Anyway. Uh, frankly I'll, I'll offended that you think I haven't seen it. But oh, send okay. it anyway. Send it anyway because then I can see it again. <laughs> I'll send it to you and Katie. All yeah, right. Um, hit our thread with, with Hallowell. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do Easter eggs? Sure. Do you have a fave? I think it's the get and losing we're going get and loser we're going shopping mean girls reference combined with mm-hmm. the shawarma Avengers reference yeah, all wrapped into one. Great Nakia line. Nakia, yeah. as you pointed out, I could use way more of her in, in the future. Fantastic. How about you? I'm going to pose a question as my Easter egg, as my favorite mm. Easter egg. 
Um, we get a, and the internet has been asking about this for, for days. We get a shot of Statue of Liberty early in this episode yeah. and we do not see the Captain America's shield. So does this mean that this show is set before the events of No Way Home or as Steve posited on Midnight Boys, could it perhaps be in the wake of the shield falling in the climax of No Way Home? As always, we have the classic when is this story set in the timeline question? One of our, our favorite MCU traditions. And I think what's frustrating and wild is that the creators have always been told not to commit to when any of this is taking place so that Marvel itself can figure it all out later and make it all make sense possibly or potentially, right? Because this is a, this is another show that doesn't really deal with the aftermath of the, I don't like calling it the blip, the snap, Right. Like, along with Moon Knight, this, you know, and I'm fine with that because, frankly, they created an untenable sociopolitical, like, situations for themselves and all of this. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to wager on before. Okay. Before the shield goes up on the Statue of Liberty. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say after just because I always have a hard time wrapping my mind around these things being out of sequence, but not in like a a substantial way in like a matter of weeks or months, perhaps. I know. Uh, I know. And then I think the reason I'm going to say after is just because this launches immediately into another story. And so I think if the events of the Marvels immediately, I mean, it's going to be a year from now before we get that story but in that, in that, but that, that's what I mean. So if, if that movie opens with Carol running downstairs and we see where Kamala wound up. And then we're like, actually, this movie that came out a year after you watched that happen is set oh, before fair. <laughs> No Way Home. That would be strange to me. But, you know, not a new problem in the MCU. So I have no idea. I also want to shout out really quickly the um, the ball cap disguises that Bruno and Comron get, right? Classic MCU ball cap uh thing but uh, what i do want to say so it says halal and haram on their hats which is like permissible or forbidden is what those two things mean and i just really like that um bruno's wearing the haram hat which is for like Kamran is the permissible love interest as far as like maybe kamala's family is concerned because he is pakistani right and then like Bruno is the forbidden one because he's a white boy and they would not want that in their family. And I just kind of liked that, that little label on them. Anything else Easter egg wise, or should we go into scrolls? Let's do scrolls. Secret scroll time. Who do you got? Zoe. Just because of the sudden appearance. Mm. Feels like scroll stuff to me. Okay. I think <laughs> the timing of the reemergence. Scroll, scroll activity. What do you think? I'm going to give it to a good old fucking. Sorry, excuse my language. Uh, shoe thief, ice cream pizza boy. I consider who this makes too. his return. Yeah, yeah. It's it still is astounding to me that this exists at all. All right, so <laughs> those are our scrolls. Jomi, a dinner on non scroll extraordinaire. Guys, I got to be honest with you. That Asians of Shield news just ruined my my whole week. Listen, maybe I'm wrong. Don't report it on it Twitter, people ruined, who are listening. It's, it's, it's too late. It's gone out. Kevin Feige is reading the text. He's like, oh, I can finally speak on this. I can be honest about it. It's um, 
it, it, it is tough. I don't know what to tell you. Um, I, I, I will have to fight for my life in the group chat later. It's, it'll, uh, it's just hard. You give seven years. Happy early birthday, Jomi. <laughs> it's tough. Got tears in my cake. It's hard. Steve wants to ask if closure is better than uncertainty. See, but here's the thing, right? And see, and this is this is the hating, right? This is the this is the problem, right? This is the this is the big problem with the whole thing. Cause people are gonna point and laugh and be like, I told you so. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of punching down. You understand what I'm saying? You know, when you un when you unabashedly love something and people are like, ha, I told you it was stupid that you spent your whole life loving that no. thing. I'm gonna be like, dang. It's to, hey, but listen, I listen, listen, listen. Love what makes I, you happy. I, I and I will, you know what I'm saying? I'm not, but the fact of the matter is, I'm gonna have to be fine for my life out these streets. I didn't want to have to do that. It's tough. It's tough. Well, now I really hope that I'm wrong. Me, me too. Great. Me too. Let's all me hope too. together that I'm wrong. <laughs> all right, our first question comes from Amy. Who would be the most embarrassing person to accidentally appear in your room? Like Carol appearing at Kamala's shrine to Captain Marvel. This is like pretty easy for me. I think this has to be, if I'm going with the fictional character, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi. If it's the real person, it's Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Just be like, boy, it's you have a lot of like pictures of me and action figures of me and posters of me uh, in your home. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm assuming for a similar of- reasons, your pick is to. T- a couple months ago, I would have said <laughs> Timothy Oliphant because of the like cardboard cutout of Cobb Vanth that I had in a closet. But now, thanks to Mallory yep. Rubin, I have an even larger <laughs> cardboard cutout of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the same closet. Oh, Cobb and, and Obi-Wan are just like chilling in a closet, cardboard cutout. So like, I think if you and McGregor showed up and he saw not only a cardboard cutout of himself, but also one that was conspicuously larger than the other cardboard cutout I had of someone mortifying so yeah it's it's you and mcgregor uh larger Joey? larger where uh, all over baby <laughs> he is m bacon <laughs> the ring of verse contains adult content <laughs> oh, Joey? uh it would probably have to be russell westbrook because at uh, any yeah. point in the day in these last few weeks i've been like get this guy off my team and so like if he just like appeared in my room and was like, yo, I can, I can hear you disrespecting me. Like that probably wouldn't go down all that well. So I have a follow-up suggestion. Could it also possibly be Kit Bishop herself? Haley Steinfeld, Jeremy? I would, I would, I would, I would fold like laundry. I would just... (laughs) There was, there's no way I would, hey, excuse me. Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) I have to, I got to go. There's, there's something running outside and I would just run away. (laughs) Vanish. And she'd be like, where'd he go? Like, I don't know. I haven't seen him in six weeks. You know, he's gone. This is not the energy we're supposed to be bringing into 2022, Jeremy. Listen, well, okay. Realistically, I'd be like, hey, what, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. This is like my room. This is my, my space, my area. Do you like need some water? Can we call you an Uber? You know what I'm saying? Because I kind of feel like you you don't know me. I don't know you. This is like real stranger. You know what I'm saying? It's cool. We're going to get you to your crib. Don't worry about it. Here, Here's my number in case you want to, if you left something, you know, but, uh, you know. We the can, number uh, move. Okay. Yes. 
the care, the water, the Uber. You know what I'm saying? And then the just in case. Here's my just in, yeah, just in case. Here's my digits. You know what hey, I'm saying? I just you can met add you. This is, this is crazy. crazy. Here's my number. Call me Haley. Call yeah. me Haley. Ah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. I, I like that. I like that. <laughs> Uh, our next question comes from Elysia. I love the Secret Skull game. Hey, Agent Clearly. But how about a maybe mutant game? Looking for expected mutants new to the MCU, already intro characters who could be mutants, or unexpected mutants coming soon. So I think we should each only do one, because then we can make this a recurring bit moving forward if we if yeah. we so choose. Any who who's top of, of your list here? And it could be from any of those buckets or another one entirely. I mean, I might cheat entirely and just pull an example that Alicia had in, in her question, mm-hmm. which is Shang-Chi. Like, because of the bangle ten ring connection, because of like where the person used it and how it activated a signal, like all of that seems too similar to discount the idea that Shang-Chi might be a mutant somehow. I'm going to throw out... I'm not... To be clear, I'm not saying I think they will do this. (laughs) But would it be possible? Could you see? God, this would be a day on the internet. Can you imagine the tweets? What if they made Kingpin a mutant? Jesus Christ. Wild energy, wild wow. chaotic energy wow. you brought into the group here. Wow. I thought you were going to say Wanda Maximoff. Like well, they could just go, you know. So that, but like, I mean, that I have long considered like almost a certainty, but there yeah. is so much change across Wanda's comics canon and so much updating and evolving of that canon. But it, yeah, I still think that feels like very much fair game. The idea that the Mind Stone would have activated her mutant gene. Mutant gene. I'm almost expecting that, even even given all of the the comics updates. How they'll marry that though with all of the the Scarlet Witch canon is uh, that'll be an interesting one. Well, you got to remember, Baron Strucker was like a lot of people died in these yeah. experiments, but you two survived, yeah. right? Like that's got to be it's got to be the gene. <gasps> Pietro, R.I.P. Well, yeah, well, he didn't survive. He survived I mean, again, the like it connects, He didn't survive but, the bullets. So. But you yes, didn't see that, didn't see that coming. coming. <laughs> it connects to what, you know, to Joe, what you were saying earlier about just like the reason that they, that Wanda and Pietro weren't introduced as mutants in the first place is just because of the, the rights at the time. Legalities, that they were, yeah. That, that yep. Ultron came in and obviously they were introduced in a stinger prior. But yeah, so that, that I almost, yeah, that, that one's like, that would be top of the list for sure. The rumor that I love, the casting rumor that I love, and I might be, alone on this island, is my beloved, cherished, Eggsy himself, Taron Edgerton, possibly becoming a new Wolverine, Wolverine? for us. Yeah, that would be fun. I've, been, I've wanted it for a while, and I'm, like, excited that it might it might actually happen. Jomi, what do you think? What's going on in your mutant brain? I, th- I think we're going to get a lot of, you know, just the regular old mutant people into the MCU. Like, one of the examples but that's Alicia not, uses... But that's not- for maybe mutant that's is a not, game. That's not fun, <laughs> like, but it's but it's. I mean, it's true though. Maybe mutant right? is like, like who could maybe be a I, mutant of the characters we've seen, right? I th- I mean, I think for sure, like <laughs> that's the secret we, scroll we, cop. We're gonna get. I think Namor might be a mutant in Wakanda Forever, you know, and he's old hell, so you know, 
he might, you know, like timeline wise, he might be the first mutant we'll see for a minute. Um, in terms of like actually playing the game, maybe mutant. Um, I hope to God they don't make the Fantastic Four mutants. I need to see them go to space and get hit by space dust, just like they did in 2005, right? <laughs> People who might God. already be- see now, this is the part where I've been like, man, you know what? Quake could have been a mutant this whole time, but God, God forbid, right? God forbid I have any joy in my life. So I can't, uh, I can't say that. Number one, uh, Chloe, Chloe Bennett fan, show me a dinner on. That's um, true. And it's true. I stand, I stand my queen. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, like the, the idea that you mentioned Wakanda forever and Alicia mentioned in her, in her question, storm and Wakanda forever, the idea that like Michaela Cole, could be playing Storm. Wakanda <laughs> forever has me really excited. That's um, fire, right? That's fire. Yeah, so good. It's just yeah. it's just a rumor. We don't know, but that's exciting. Um, I think ultimately it is hard to see like who's a mutant, who's not, because for the most part, a lot of these characters have, you know, we know where they got their powers from or whatnot. Um, you know, unless like Hawkeye is a mutant and like his power is being really accurate. You know what I'm saying? That'd be cool. But like, I think a lot of the, you know, I think the change of Kamala's powers is interesting. You know, I said this on the Midnight Boys, like Pack Watch to the Inhumans, except Ace and Mount gets to come back whenever he wants. But God forbid, you know, Phil Coulson makes an appearance. Guys, I'm I'm hurt. You can tell. Listen, Coulson had like what seven seasons of a television post death. Listen, like, listen, he died like eight times. <laughs> He's died more than Loki at this point. It's nuts. Plus. It's nuts. You know, they give him the old CGI de-aging Tintin uh, effect in Captain yeah, Marvel. That, like that's a pre, that's a prequel. You know, like Clark Gregg has like, he, he's gotten his paycheck. You know what I mean? No, I I will I would just see like if Kamala, you know, if this starts, if Kamala's being announced as a mutant starts now a train of like, you know, every so often in, in a film or TV show where like He's got the gene and then the the riff plays. Da-na-na-na-na-na-na. Imagine that's just like the through line. That's how you know somebody's a mutant when they come on screen and you just hear the just the seven notes. Love it. That'd be fun. Love it for us. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right, our last question comes from Zach. Where does Kamala rank in terms of characters introduced in phase four? Your highest on moving forward in the coming years. Even though the show wasn't perfect, it felt like her arc accepting the various threads that make her who she is was as complete and took advantage of the TV format better than any other MCU show, maybe other than Loki. I can't wait for more Kamala and her family. So for me, I'll say really quickly that it's like Yelena is out front by like a mile, but then like Kit Bishop and Kamala Khan are are really vying for second place for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to choose. It's a crowded field. I think Yelena's also number one on my list. But God, the top five, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm not ready to, to set an order, but I guess my top five in some order would be Yelena, Kate, Kamala, Shang-Chi. And oh, there's so many contenders vying for the fifth Mor- spot Morris. here. Is my dear sweet Morris. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Moon Knight? Is it Sylvie? Is it Mobius? Is it my dear Lucky? (laughs) Is it America? Obviously, I'm not picking the Eternals. Um, Jesus, I'll just say that's my top four then for now. And there are are a lot of a lot of a lot of contenders. I would put Stephen Grant, yeah, but not Mark Spector, but Stephen Grant (laughs) as like my number four. 
How lovely. Jeremy, what do you think? Gators, gators. Um, <laughs> Laters, gators. I do miss Gators. Love Stephen. For sure. So here's the thing, right? Like Kate Bishop, Yelena. Um, honestly, anybody on the Young Avengers roster that we've mm-hmm. seen over the last like year and a half, I was like, can't wait to see them again. Now, <laughs> if we're talking about like Kamala and Co, mm-hmm. I want to like that's number one. Like that's number one. I want to see mm-hmm. her and her family again. Like all those people, yeah. like I want to see them more than anything because like they were. They were so much fun in this show. I see what you did and there. Everything... You did the old House of Our Smuggle. You you, you yeah. grouped a bunch of characters to. <laughs> yeah. it's smart. I'm Sound learning. Strategy. I'm learning. <laughs> uh, I want to see them. I want to see them again in 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 everything. Honestly, yeah. like if they showed up on Kind of Forever, you know, it was a little bit. I'd be like, I would. It would make my. It would make my day. So for sure, for <laughs> sure, Kamala and Co. But it just characters. Then Kamala, you guys say. Get the bishop, uh, Yelena. <laughs> like they've they've really done a good job of giving us characters that we're we're attached to, despite the fact they've only shown up for like a little bit of screen time. They've yeah. they've done a really good job of that in this phase, you know, amongst other things. So I'm really excited to see where we're going forward, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be so much fun. <laughs> Who's at the bottom of the list, and is it Ralph Boner? <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I would hang out with Ralph Boner again, honestly. Or is it John Walker? <laughs> oh God! It's, ooh, it's for no. For me, it's for sure Sprite. I never need to see Sprite. Oh again. no, Sprite. I'm good off Sprite. I forgot. I'm good off Sprite. <laughs> I, I was forgot. just because I was just rewatching Eternals the other day. I was like, not doing nothing. Let me put it on. You know, not again. Not terrible. You know, when you're at home, you can like you know check Twitter. You know what I'm saying on TikTok for 15 minutes, you know what I mean? But that when Sprite stabs Cersei, I'm like, you gotta go, man. You gotta go. Like, you, like there's no, you like useless. You like, yeah, I don't know. It was just really bad. <laughs> but if I never see her again, I'll be content. Thank you for reminding me of Eternals. My rounding out five, I'm gonna pull in the duo of Druig and Makari. My yeah. dear Makari. <laughs> yeah, love them. did love them. Yeah, they were great. Yeah. They, they were, were great. All, they were incredible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We incredible. have we really have gotten a lot of great new characters. There you go. Future Sprite. <laughs> all right. Now is the time uh, where we are going to talk to Bisha KLE, who's the head writer of Miss Marvel, to hear some insights about her favorite parts of what's in and what she had to let go. Let's hear from Bisha. I wanted to start by asking you uh, which aspect of Kamala's journey felt like the most personal to you oh putting gosh. this together. Which aspect felt the most personal? My goodness. There's nothing about this that doesn't feel personal to me and the other writers. Like every single element of it feels personal. I think obviously the storyline with Partition is um, incredibly personal to us, but it's also um, not ours to own alone. So it's, it depends how it depends the context of the word, I suppose. Um, for me personally, just yeah, I actually can't pick anything. It's all so intensely personal that it's impossible to say, oh, one thing feels the most personal versus something else. Um I hope that answers your question. <laughs> all of it. <laughs> this is such a rich and lovely family story that 
devotes so much time to the ties and the shared history and shared understanding between four generations of women inside of one family and the very, very special relationship between Kamala and her father and the found family, the family that you choose among the friends and inside of this community. And then you also had to establish a lot of new characters, a lot of new canon, a lot of new Marvel magic. So kind of have two questions on that front. What was the most... What was most essential when it came to striking the right balance between family community and mythology when you're structuring the story? And then in a comic book landscape where heroes have often, not always, of course, but often lost their parents or seen their family units fractured in some sort of fundamental way for their origin story, what different opportunities were here for you when telling a story about a superhero who has such a strong family presence and connection and support? I'm going to break that down because I felt like a multiple questions <laughs> that I have a very... We, we love the, the smuggle here at, at House of R. <laughs> we love to sneak multiple things inside of one. Oh, yeah. It's just you're not <laughs> going to get all the answers you want because I'm going to get lost in space. Um, <laughs> in terms of striking the balance it, within the show itself, there was so much for us to figure out and find out what felt... Um, everything that we were building that was, whether it was mythological or from ca- comic canon had to be relevant emotionally and thematically to what Kamala's journey was. So that was always our guiding light. It's Kamala's journey. What's the most relevant to it? What's the most pertinent to it? What can be used in juxtaposition to what we want to say in order to create the conflict that we wanted, not just kind of story-wise, but thematically and underpinning the journey that she's going through. So that's how we were, if we were led by that, that's then allowing us to carve away the most important pieces and the least important pieces and find that judgment on what's, on what's, on what's key. And there were kind of longer versions of everything with multiple, with so many other things because so many issues are so multifaceted that we always, we're all, I think it was very intelligent writers. I think there are lots of very smart people in that room. So there's, and so passionate as well. So there's lots of, there's so many different themes and threads that we were juxtaposing and pulling apart and then interrogating and saying, is this important? And if it, everything was important, but is it important enough for the limited amount of time we have on screen. That was <laughs> right. then the kind of the new marker beyond what's right. important and a baseline. So that's kind of, that That was really leading all of our thinking, I would say. And we, and you know, we'd start from that place, we'd build out, build out, build out. And then the building got so big, we're like, okay, let's go back to that, that place again, that focus and use that to kind of chip away, chip away, chip away. So it's a starting point for Genesis and then also a, start, and a refining filter that we use on the other end of that kind of generation of so much material and so many ideas and so many ways of attacking and playing with the themes that we wanted to. So that's how we worked out, worked out the balance and found the right pieces. Um, and then in terms of the fact that this is the one of the only stories within this comic universe, I mean, specifically talking about the MCU here, but um, where her family is alive, but not just her own family, but her, as you say, the found family and this community are all kind of active participants in her growth and her who she is. And um, I mean, dead family is also an active participant in the growth of other characters in the MCU. But um, that's what made her unique. This is what makes her unique in this entire um, extensive web of storytelling um, that goes beyond our show. So that really felt like the strength of the show. So the idea of leaning into it was kind of inherent because it is what makes Kamala unique. It is what makes Miss Marvel unique specifically. And so we really wanted to represent that not just 
in this show, but knowing that she's going to go on to do whatever she's going to do in the Marvels and whatever her future is in not just in television, but in on the big screen, whatever that future may be, she's going to be carrying that with her physically because we manifested all of those family elements, found family and kind of the family you're born into, all, all manifested in her suit in really clear ways. We made a real, very clear point of we're gathering up all these pieces of her so that when she goes off into the marbles, it's Kamala, yes, but it's everyone who loves her too. Um, She's representing all of them and she's representing, and I don't mean representing in terms of the way we talk about representation. I'm talking about as in literally the scarf is from, the dupatta or the, the, the sash is from Red Dagger, the 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 outfits made by her mother, I'm sure with her grandmother's influence. Um, the, <laughs> the, the mask is from Bruno, um, and, you know, the, some of the color scheme came from the fact that that waistcoat that was Aisha's, kind of symbolically Aisha's. So all of that is uh, was part of the strength of Kamala and what makes her unique in the MCU. And the fact that then she, I feel really proud that when I go to see the Marvels next year, she's wearing um, whatever costume we saw at the end of our show, um, that that was so clearly all those pieces were put there by us in this show and were all representative of her family. So as I say, it didn't feel like... Uh, oh, this is making us different in a bad way. I was like, no, this is exactly what gives her her strength is everything that you're seeing there. Love so, I think I've got all the smuggled stuff. You did, you crushed it. <laughs> crushed it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, speaking of all of us going to go see the Marvels in theaters next year, um, I know that the way that, you know, very specifically Marvel TV making works is you're put in your little like silo and you're allowed to know what you're allowed to know and that's not much usually of like the broader plan. So given that I know that you didn't know, you know, you weren't allowed details on like where the character's going, privy to what they're going to do in the Marvels, et cetera. And it's possible it wasn't even known at the time because they hadn't written their movie yet. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's part of it too. <laughs> but were you then given um, any kind of um, idea or or guidance about where Kamala needed to land at the end of the story here, you know, she's, Carol shows up. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, you know, she's got her costume. She's got her name. She understands the basics of her power set. You know, were there any other ideas or guidance about where she needed to have her endpoint here? Um, I think it was just really, I said this not in a kind of a negative way. I say, like, I think it's fairly common sense to me coming into it that if the next thing she's going to be in is going to be alongside Captain Marvel, she needs to be able to stand alongside Captain Marvel. Um, in the kind of the nature of a feature is a feature is they have less time, etc. So I was really aware that um she had to have self-actualized by the time we got to the end of this show. So that when she's standing beside Captain Marvel, whether or not there is time to go into kind of this the the psychology of her in the same way is we're always gonna we have the microscope in this show that won't be available in an ensemble thing when you're next to a huge huge character like Captain Marvel. There's a there's a there's a different relationship there that's going to I'm sure come through. So I, I always kind of inherently I was like okay that's where if that's where we're going if I know that she's going to go and be in a movie without me knowing any of the details, but if I know the foundationally she's going to be alongside Captain Marvel, then um, she has to be match fit. She's got to be ready to run. So right. that was kind of a guidepost for the, for the end of the show. And I knew also that we were starting um, from a place of, she didn't have power. She was getting her power. So, you know, it is, a, it is kind of, I think the, the great thing about the, all of the cultural elements, all the things that people are kind of that are maybe new to our audience are actually 
in a very classical structure of an origin story, just mm-hmm. told in our way. And I think that's what keeps the show classic, but also completely new in terms of what you're seeing and how we would do it and how Kamala does it. So having that beginning point, having that end point is also so helpful to have an end point when you start breaking a TV show. Um, <laughs> so that was a, a real delight to be able to go into a project from day one, knowing exactly where that's ending. Um, so that was always, always really clear. But aside from that, kind of how we got there was was on us. Yeah. So you mentioned origins and the new. We yes. simply must talk <laughs> about <laughs> the seismic word mutation. We can all we can all hum and sing. You have noted in uh, other interviews that it became clear later in the process that this was going to be a, a thing that happened here. Yeah, and. You have also talked a lot about how you are a huge nerd. You're a huge fan of comics yeah, and, and these stories. That's my era too, you know? <laughs> right. So how, how did it feel to get to feature that massive MCU moment inside of your series? And was there any discussion once it became clear that this was going to be a, a thing that was happening of having the uh, Bruno reveal the, the, the mutation aspect earlier, spending any more time, or was it always going to be a tease at the end? It was so far down the line. Like I can't even, mm-hmm. I don't even want to disclose quite how far down the line it was in terms of before its release. That um, it was there wasn't really a huge amount of discussion. It was kind of like, well, what pieces have we got on the board? <laughs> how can we get this done? Right. So um, uh, it was just really for me. It was just really thrilling. The when we kind of got, when I kind of got that call from um, Sana, we were having that conversation. She was telling me that that's what we we're going to do. I was like, this is bananas. I can't. I can't get my head around this. So it was just really thrilling, just really, really thrilling to see. And as you say, from a nerd perspective, like I have the um, same emotional reaction when I hear that music cue that I think a lot of um, and the audience of a certain age has. <laughs> um, I have that right. same um, mm-hmm. like visceral body reaction of excitement from like being that gener- specific generation of nerd, I think. Um, so, yeah. you know, it was just absolutely incredible. I, I, it was, it was never, it wasn't in the long-term plan. It, it, didn't feel like it detracted away from the journey in any way. It feel like it was additive and solved a few things. And I also feel like it was um, kind of felt like an honor to be doing this thing in the MCU. And it felt really connective and explosive and connecting all up. So um, it was a last minute change, very last minute, fairly last minute, sorry, is the word I'm trying to get out. It was a fairly last minute um, adjustment and with these huge massive implications that really, I think really helped everything and kind of, the connectivity, the pop of it, the emotion of it, uh, the kind of pointing out the thematics of the show near quite near the end of the episode. Um, all of that just came together really beautifully in that moment. And even the way in which it was delivered, the way it was kind of brought in, I, I think everything about it was done because I because I would say I had the least hand in that moment than any, any, <laughs> any other moment in this show. Um, it was really a delight. I really, really am very happy that we did it this way. <laughs> You mentioned you mentioned the, the six episode time constraint of telling a story like this, right? And um, you know, I, I've seen you mention in other interviews that you had in the writers' room notebooks full of story about the red daggers, about the clandestines, about the Nord dimension, all that sort of stuff. Um, so I'm just curious. This is a classic smuggle. Two questions into one. Uh, if you had more time, in. <laughs> you had more time in episodes to do so. What other avenues of the story, like, were you most wanting to explore? And if it was that mythology that I just mentioned, like, what else can you share with us now about the history between those groups, how they function, the specific nature of the transfer of power from Najma to Kamran, like, all of all of that, and, of course, what you could tell us about the bangle? 
Well, I don't. I think I need to be mindful because I also don't want to muddy what's in the show versus all of the extension of that. I don't think that's quite fair on what we've created. So I'm going to be mindful of how I navigate this question, even though I'd love to share every single thought that's crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> but I will say that, um, for example, the Red Daggers, I think if we could have shown more of their scope in that it, as in it comes into play in the fact that at the end of six, that there is someone that can get um, come run out of there. And there's like a support system in place. This is, this is an international organization. So if we could have been able to kind of hint at more of that, I think something that um, we do a little bit of, did get a little bit of in the show, but um, I wish we'd had more, a little bit time, more time for, for was, um, you see her kind of figuring out the, what eventually leads to in beginning, kind of the actual, the hard light forming around her body kind of, that is something she learns under Walid. And I would love to have seen a little bit more of her training because there's a bit of a jump in her skill level by the end of episode um, four to the, at the end of, from the beginning of four to the end of four, there's a big old increase. And some of that we're kind of hinting at that you can see that moment that she's essentially going like superhero school with Walid. I wish we'd sent, um, I should have the time to show you more of that. The fact that she gets her training from Pakistanis in Pakistan, as opposed to getting her kind of leveling up montage with, any of the other Avengers. I thought that was really cool. And that felt really, that would have been really fun to share with everybody. Um, I think another element that I, um, kind of the, 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 the on the ground stuff in Jersey city, there was like this whole storyline about gentrification that felt really cool. And that Nakia had a bigger role in as well. Um, alongside the storyline at the mosque. So that was, that was something that we're also, I mean, if we had to choose between the two, we we're always going to go with the mosque storyline. Um, and, but yeah, that the, the idea of there's this community center that the high school used and the also um, the community at large used and like Najat the Jairo, Jairo, uh, Giro King used. Um, so like a lot of, a lot of the community kind of came together and that storyline was popped a lot more because of this community center and Maniba's role in it. Um, and yeah, I think we kind of, rightfully so had to kind of take that storyline out but that had a very detailed arc across six episodes and multiple scenes across those six episodes that I think kind of um gave a nice juxtaposition between how Kamala viewed her own mother in episode one even though her mom's kind of doing this community heroics and but yet she's kind of putting Captain Marvel on a pedestal but right here is an example of a hero in your own community it's your mom and you can't see that and that story would have come full circle by the end where she's like there's Captain Marvel but my mom's my own hero so that was kind of an element of that I feel like kind of we got we got it in there we obviously there's so much to do with her and her mother that is so vital and so much more important than one I just outlined but that's that's a storyline that could live again you know it could live again in another episode mm. I don't think the same relationship with the mum in another season sorry mm-hmm. like I don't know that the same relationship with the mum would be the same it would have to be something different but the gentrification of it all and that how that affects the actual community on that ground level um is something that definitely is there still to explore I think if if anyone were to go on to do multiple seasons of the show we know you need to scoot we have barely any time left with you but we have two absolutely crucial questions we're going to ask you rapid fire my first one is uh there's a split second of an iconic episode of Felicity in the first episode. And so my question is, uh, really quickly, sort of like, A, why is that there? And B, are you Team Noel or Team Ben? What, what, where do you, where do you <laughs> I stand? I think that was a, that was a choice actually by, um, uh, Adeline Bilal, that the, the, the sequence of what she's watching on the screen. Um, I, so you'd have to ask them what the, the deeper meaning of that was, because that's personal to them. Um, and so I'm on neither team. <laughs> I think what, one thing that was important was the kind of cultural moment of if my parents ever saw, um, for me, and I think for all the South Pakistani writers in the room, if my parents ever saw on TV something that was like even 
boys and girls flirting. It was like, mm-hmm, change the channel. So that was kind of what we were being like, okay. Like people in proximity to each other and the irony of it being that Bruno's a part of that family. They don't care when they're really close to each other because he's he's their kid. He's their other son in many ways. So um, it was just really fun that that was the moment we wanted to, that was kind of in the script. And then what the actual thing on screen was, was that's an Adil and Bilal question. I will track them down. Team Ben. Hashtag <laughs> Team Ben. All right, la- lastly, because we know you have to go. Who are you shipping? Who are you all shipping of them. Kamala with? I'm shipping, uh, <laughs> I'm shipping Kamala and Cameron. I'm also shipping Kamala and Kareem. I'm also shipping Kamala and Bruno. But now that the show's come out and I've seen the audience response, I'm also shipping Bruno and Cameron. Like, I can get on board with that. Also, after the end of six, seeing Cameron in Pakistan with Red Dagger. Guys, why not? Like, I'm feeling all of it. <laughs> I love so, it. I um, love it. I just think everyone should love everybody. That's what I'm feeling. <laughs> Team... Team Nokia and Zoe. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank awesome. you so much for the chat. Yeah. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right. That does it for House of R this week. Uh, we will be back, as I mentioned, post Comic Con to talk to you about all the things we hear there. The Midnight Boys Pew Pew will be here next Wednesday to do something really fun. I'm excited. A draft, a midnight court. I don't know what it's going to be. I can't wait to listen. Uh, Of course, to know what that is, to make sure that you don't miss it, follow us on socials, follow the pod, all that good stuff. Thank you to that Rings of Power trailer for getting me so amped. Thank you to Bisha Kelly for for chatting with us. Thank you to the lovely and talented Mallory Rubin for being my partner in crime. Thank you to Jomia Dineron for co-writing a new bop, a new version of Call Me Maybe with me. Love that for us. Thank you to Steve Allman for cutting all together and cutting out our mistakes and for additional production work. Arjuna Ramgopal, the greatest producer you could ever ask for. We will be back soon. Bye!